Hello, everyone. It's November the 10th of 2021. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. I am Nick, here alongside Chris. That's me. That's that's him. That's you. That is they. That is... The thing. Look, there's a lot of dumb stuff we gotta talk about this week, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, oddly... As I look across what we've got for our number of series to talk about this week, I was like, oh, it feels a little bit lighter. I mean, it doesn't. I don't think anything's really off this week, except we just don't have any of the irregular series to talk about. Um, That's pretty much it. Which makes the week just feel a lot smaller. Um, but in addition, we have what may be the shortest recommendation in history for us to talk about. I don't, I don't know what the record is, but... I believe the record is and will still belong to um what was it there was some series like it was like tokyo red hood or something like that which was like a weird gore lolita series or something like that 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 doesn't actually count because we never actually got to the podcast yeah no (laughs) that was the review just no (laughs) (laughs) so um, I I believe that if, if we're putting that with, with an asterisk and doesn't really count uh, as the uh, as the record holder, then this one will probably compete. I'm okay. guessing. Uh, the series we took as a recommendation two weeks ago. I've had two weeks to read this, and I have so little to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> it is Imperial Guards, aka its Japanese title Kokoku no Shugosha. Uh, This is a series that ran from 2004 to 2007 in Ultra Jump. And I swear this is true from the writer of High School of the Dead and the artist of Shut Hell. All right. Two series I have mild enjoyment of that I at least had something to say about. I remember stuff that happened in both of those series. Yeah. I like hearing both those names. I was like, I could recall those series and I could kind of appreciate that. Um, this is a manga about a alternate world that is, seems to take place in the equivalent of the late 19th century earth, uh, and centers on a war going on between not China and not Japan, but not China is also not Rome and a bunch of other places. It's also not Russia as well. Right. Um, but it's definitely not Japan, except they also have saber tooth tigers. Uh, <laughs> and the not Russian, not Chinese, not Roman army have dragons and dinosaurs, which are treated basically like dragons. And also there are just dragons beyond the ones that are in the army. And despite the fact that the dragons are part of the enemy army, the good guy army are obligated to help out any dragons in trouble they come across, I guess. Uh, Look, I'm sure that there are a lot of plot details that if if any fans of this series come across us talking about this, they're going to be like, why aren't you talking about all of the things that are going on in this? Because I was bored. I'm sorry. <laughs> lots and lots of stuff got talked about in this manga, and I just did not care because I was like, I was promised 
military battles <laughs> involving saber-toothed tigers. Yeah. And those happen occasionally, but it's not nearly as much fun as I was expecting to have. And I don't care about any of their stuff because it is a series that puts on its cover a dude with a rifle running alongside a giant saber-toothed tiger. And that's all I wanted to see. <laughs> well, I, I want to give my quick review of it. And that is to say, I was actually pretty surprised by this series because it, it, it managed to do more than I expected from it. Now, it is not a perfect series by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think you're ever going to find something like that. But I was very surprised by how much and how effective this series was at what it was trying to do. Uh, and that is my review of this series as a sleep aid. Uh, I tried to read this series five times. I fell asleep every single time as I read this series. I did not. I think I read a like a total of maybe 11 chapters of this series. And every single time I fell asleep after three chapters or two chapters. There was one time I read half a chapter, fell asleep, woke up, read the other half and fell back asleep. <laughs> It's not a very long series, so you could actually get through the entire thing like that. You know, yeah. just like ch chill out with it for, you know, a month, month and a half and <laughs> let it rock you to sleep. And then at the end, you'll be like, oh, OK, I guess I finished reading that. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember anything that happened, but I had some great nights. I, I, it's like there are points in my life where I feel like I have a lot of difficulty getting to sleep. And like those are the worst, like ADDs acting up, all sorts of stuff. I feel like the go-to method I'm going to have in the future, maybe even better than Nyquil, is like I'm gonna try reading a couple more chapters of Imperial Guards because I don't know why this series fucking hits everything. It's like turns my ADD off. It's like, oh, is this what we have? Powering down. <laughs> because I, <laughs> I was like, this series was sold on the notion of saber two tigers fighting people i believe it was even referred to as pokemon like a pokemon-esque using saber-toothed tiger battle something like i believe it was what if war but saber-toothed tigers are used as pokemon yeah, yeah so and what they should have said is this is a war documentary series <laughs> fantasy that has saber-toothed tigers in the background of shots and every so often a saber-toothed tiger may kill somebody and that's it like you'll read 30 pages of fucking military strategy for a country you don't give a shit about and kind of feels weirdly nationalist at the same time because it's very clearly japan but the other nation is this weird amalgam of other things but again it's called Tsarland. it's very clearly russia it has a weird vibe to it and you don't care about that side either and I didn't even get to the dragons part. I had to flip around chapters and never saw a fucking dragon. They might have been in the background of shots. I might have missed when the dragons did something. And there was just fucking Zarland people talking to each other. And it was a dragon in the background being like, like I, I don't know. I, it could have happened. I. So when you say that the saber tooth tigers are in the background, that's it. It's the, I mean, the, the tigers are there all the time it's just that very rarely are they really the center of attention what we get instead is so we've got our main character uh, shinzo and if to sum him up in a single word i would use asshole but if i had to use a, another single word it would be pragmatic he is very conscious of okay 
this will get me and my unit killed, so let's not do that. Let's do the thing that will keep us alive. Which, okay. Here's the thing about the way that he is portrayed. At first, he comes across as ruthlessly cold and calculating. If there is anything that will potentially put the only people that he cares about, i.e. he and the unit that he is, like the sergeant slash lieutenant slash he keeps getting promoted, whatever, uh, of killed, then he will dispose of it, regardless of what it is. This is first demonstrated to us in a way that I don't think was as effective as it was meant to be because uh, they're in the middle of this battle and their side is losing. So they need to retreat and they get word of the situation on the battlefield and they get their orders from this this uh, adjutant, this adjutant, how you say that word? It's not a word I use commonly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, you know, military commander's assistant who rides to meet them and she has been uh, lethally injured and is going to die uh, unless she receives like immediate medical attention. And so... Shinzo, while everyone's kind of you know milling around discussing like, okay, what do we do? It's like, yeah, she's gonna slow us down, uh, so we uh, we've got to kill her. And there's people just talking. Like, I, okay, I killed her. Uh, so um, are we good to go? Just <laughs> yeah, let's I, get moving, gang. <laughs> there's just like there's not any attention drawn to the fact that he has just coldly murdered this girl. Because the idea is that, okay, well, she's going to die anyway, probably, and we can't risk her weighing us down. But no one talks about this. No one reacts to him killing her. No one even seems to, like, grimace and go, oh, but it was the right thing to do. Or The only person who reacts to this besides Shinzo is her, and she goes, that was the right choice. Bleh. And that's <laughs> kind of it. So... Yeah, okay, he did the pragmatic thing and killed her, even though it was a very cold hard thing to do. But so what? Does this set Shinzo apart in any way from his command? I don't know. Nobody fucking reacted to what he said and then did. So who gives a shit about what he did? And then after that, the next demonstration of his pragmatism is uh, the commander of their unit says, you know, is making some bad decisions because they're supposed to be on the run. But he's like, okay, well, the the enemy forces are going to be sending scouts out this way. uh, So I'm going to go over here. And Shinzo keeps saying, well, my cat smells stuff and uh, you don't need to follow up on it. My my, my cat can smell stuff for miles away. I know they're coming here and we should leave. And the commander's like, I'm going to go verify it. So he splits off and leaves Shinzo in charge and says, you know, in like 15 minutes or whatever, you know, you can uh, hold this position for 15 minutes, is what he says. Don't leave this area for 15 minutes. And Jin's like, okay, I'll follow orders. And everyone's like, hmm, he doesn't, you know, respect that military leader at all in any way. But he says he's going to follow orders because he's a good soldier. So that's, you know, the kind of the values that he has. So because they've got a whole position, they're like, all right, we're going to wait for this enemy force to come for us. We have to prepare to attack them if necessary. And if we're going to attack them, we have to kill them all because otherwise... Anyone who escapes is going to report to the main force and send reinforcements after us and they'll know where we are and they're going to kill us unless we leave. So we have to very, very, very efficiently kill all these people 
But instead, the commander, separated from their group, went off on his own, starts an attack without signaling to them. And so they're not in position to kill everyone. And so he's like, ah, oh, but with this pincer movement, we can kill all of them. And Shinzo's like, ah, that idiot. And then the 15 minutes go pass by, and he's like, all right, everyone leave. And he just leaves the guy to die when presumably what the guy was thinking was, well, if you back me up, then we'll kill all these guys. But Jinzo's just like, nah, it's a stupid idea. Bye. Leaves him to die. So, yeah, it's like, I understand. But you really come across as just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I don't remember any of this <laughs> like I, let me i could i could run you through my exact remembrance uh series starts we're introduced to saber two tigers the commander dies like in the woods and the dude shouts or something it fucks up a plan and it's like a thing with a bridge and that's it <laughs> like i know i read the chapters i physically my eyes scanned from panel to panel and fucking none of it was retained. <laughs> like, I like having a moment at the end of the year when we talk about the series we reviewed where I say, like, what's the series that I'm not going to remember? I don't I don't think I've ever given an official mm-hmm. name. But there's usually at least one series every year where I'm like, ah, even by the end of the year, I don't remember it. I thought this year was going to be Bones of an Invisible Person because I barely remember what happened to that. But I do remember the general premise. I did not expect a mid-November series to be the one that I'm going to be like, yeah, I guarantee in a month from now, someone's going to make Imperial Guards. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And then they're going to say, you know, the one with the the military battles and the saber-toothed tigers. And you're going to be like, oh! I need to note this. Did you read that? (laughs) I'm going to note this right now. This is because I have very little actual knowledge of this series. (laughs) This is my biggest complaint about it. What a fucking stupid name. This should have been called Sabretooth Tiger Wars or something. I don't, I don't understand why you would name the series something so boring and fucking generic when your only selling point is there are dragons and tigers in it. Apparently. Let me, let me do a trend, a little translation of the Japanese title and see if that's, if the literal translation is not tigers, fuck up dudes. (laughs) The manga or something like that. No, no, it's Imperial Guard. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't know how you could fuck up what would have seemingly been an easy slam dunk of like, oh my series is Saber Two Tigers. I'm gonna put that I'm not gonna bury the lead on that one. I'm just gonna definitely put that out as opposed to what may be the most generic title we've reviewed on WMR. I don't I don't even know what's Imperial Guard about it. I know they're soldiers. I mean, they work for not Japan, so I guess it has an Imperial uh, element to it. I, I don't know. I think that it is a crime that a series about saber-toothed tiger military battles was this boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's boring because there is so much stuff that is just dealing with military politics and politics dealing with nations that do not exist and are not interesting, and th- and discussing strategy when all we need to see is the Tigers fighting. And when we do see the Tigers fight, it's actually very underwhelming. So, um, it's not good. No, it's and its not. protagonist is kind of shitty. Uh, and we're supposed to, I believe, sympathize with him because he thinks that he's a hypocrite, I guess. But also he dreams about having sex with his sister-in-law. So there's that. Uh, 
I applaud you for trying to find this. Kind of shitty and boring. Yeah, I, I applaud you for fi I tried, trying to find was... yeah everything in here to talk about. But <laughs> I know I I know a title page was a dude having sex with somebody, and I was like, I don't I don't know anybody in the story. Like I know I've seen characters in this army, but I don't remember them. I think that a big problem with this is that it's not just a focus on things that aren't interesting. It is the fact that when things that are interesting or should be interesting are focused on, they're still not good. They meet a dragon in the middle of the woods and have to heal its injuries because they are obligated to do so. And when we see a dragon, it's just kind of there. Uh, he Shinzo has a dream, like I said, about having sex with his sister-in-law, whom I guess he is in love with. Uh, but when he's having the dream, he literally says, for the audience's benefit, oh, this is no good. She's supposed to be with my brother. And just to, just, to, just to let us know, it's like, oh, this is the taboo here that we're working with. <laughs> just the casual, like, oh, by the way, this oh. is good. <laughs> so that is, um, it's... yeah. I, That's I, it. I we don't, we don't, we don't need to. this series for as long as I can. As long as I need. Yeah, we don't, we don't need to try to stretch this anymore. We got it. Get a world record out there. <laughs> Time and okay. chip. That's it. It's got. It's done. It's done. Put it out. Okay. Let's talk about other manga. Yes. There, I I have like actual thoughts to share on some of these. So this will be more, more interesting. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, I didn't fall asleep reading these series. Oh, hang on. Uh, I might have fallen asleep reading um, Red Hood. Uh, <laughs> not good it's the last chapter how could you nick it needed you uh there's a petition out for it now oh no <laughs> a petition <laughs> those always do things oh no what we really need to do is uh get out uh a twitter petition saying uh red hood release the kawaguchi cut or whatever yeah and, uh, hashtag end. Uh, My Hero Academia, chapter number 332, state-of-the-art hypersonic intercontinental cruise. Dot, dot, dot. It, it ends. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. We begin the chapter on a flashback with Star uh, hanging out with her bros. Just some guys who are just, you know, chilling out, having some brewskis. And... One of them points out, you know, Star, you ain't the greatest at boosting your own power. And Star and Stripe narrates, see, my, my quirk has limitations on the guys. <laughs> I swear, it can't just do anything. Even <laughs> though when it was first introduced, they basically said I could do anything. We're just gradually reining it back in further and further. So, no, 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 it's not that great. Seriously. Yeah. So... Uh, she reiterates what Shigaraki slash offer one slash whoever had uh, theorized in the previous chapter, which is there are limits to how much she can actually increase abilities of uh, people that she applies her rules to. Uh, and she says, like, yeah, like whenever I try and power myself up, no matter what I did, they're just it didn't seem to work out right. Those who know me well would say at the end of the day, quirks reflect what's on the inside after all. Maybe it's because Cassie is a girl. Which 
I don't make the connection on that at all. It's a very abrupt plot development, <laughs> like for a character we don't know a lot about and don't know a lot about the situation concerning her to be like, she's she's dealt with sexism her whole life, which don't get me wrong. I absolutely understand that she probably has. It feels rather rather abrupt to add it into the story and then be like, but these guys never treated me that way. And be like, so wait, I'm sorry, who who did that? We've only met like four characters related to you, like, and we've haven't seen like did Admiral Akbar treat you that way? Because if so, fuck him. I'm glad he dies <laughs> in new movies. <laughs> I feel as if we would appreciate this more if one, we were more familiar with America in this world. Uh, if it's just supposed to be like our America, then yeah, I could definitely believe like sexism exists and that she has had to deal with it. Um, but uh, or two, if we had seen examples and like attention was brought to there being sexism in the way that superheroes and superheroines are treated and seen. And although definitely you could say like, well, it's kind of weird that, you know, a lot of the pro superheroes we meet are seen as sex symbols uh, or are used to, you know, market beauty products and stuff like that. In terms of their actual superhero work, uh, they that doesn't seem to come up much. And, you know, you've got badass ass kickers, you know, like Miraco, who are I don't know. It's just kind of a weird thing to bring up now for the first time with this character. And basically for the first time in this world. Yeah, I mean, there there definitely is a narrative um, in My Hero about how women are treated in the superhero world. And we've seen it not really get addressed. It's not ever kind of like explicitly said anything should be done about the way <laughs> sexism mm. is, is done within the My Hero world. Or the fact that like high school girls are being often told like, well, you should make sure you get yourself into like the beauty uh, academy right. or something like weird stuff like that really hasn't been dealt with. But then again, my hero has kind of avoided addressing any kind of systemic problems that exist in its world mm. beyond crime is bad. So <laughs> I, it's something where I'm like, I can understand on a level like she's experienced sexism in her life. I can totally understand it would happen. We just don't know enough about her and we're not seeing any of this happen that it feels like this weird kind of throwaway line that almost makes you feel like you missed something. Like if this was a character who maybe we had seen more of and there was any attempt to follow up on this and to give some kind of like conclusion to what this narrative is might be more interesting. But I feel like this is a way to just be like, Yo, those fucking pilots, they're going to get wasted and you should feel bad because they weren't sexist. <laughs> like, Because they were bros. <laughs> yeah, they were bros. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is if this had been in any way like thematic to My Hero Academia, it would not feel out of place. Uh, but because it is a thing that's being brought up about this character that we've known for like three chapters and this is the first time that it's been brought up for her at all. It is a little bit like what's going on here. So I don't think that it is a bad thing to bring up this as an, as a character quality. It's just surprising. 
And it's weird to bring it up out of context, not seemingly have any follow through to it. Mm. So I think it would be great if there had been some cases in my hero academia where, you know, like when discussing pro options and stuff like, you know, Momo talked about how she she had to do that weird commercial with Kendo. And she, and if she was just like, yeah, it's kind of weird that I was only valued for my looks and it just kind of bothered her a little bit. Yeah. But it's really just kind of accepted as the way things are in superhero society, seemingly. Yeah. So. Well, Nick, just remember when we think about it, just think of the big three and uh, Mirio is like a potential candidate for all for one. Uh, Sun Eater is one of the most skilled heroes of his generation, and Nejere, or whatever her name is, won a beauty pageant. <laughs> They're all on equally important footings. Hey, she works with Ryukyu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's, everyone's favorite member of the top ten. Uh, mine was Yohorashi. <laughs> <laughs> No, Yorashi's the, the wind guy. I meant, I meant uh, I can't even remember the guy's Yoshi name. Yoshi something, whatever. Samurai I quit guy. Everyone loves yeah. him. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yes, the point is that Star is like, oh, I, people would always say if they knew me really well that I couldn't be super strong like All Might because I'm a girl and girls aren't as strong as guys, I guess. And her bros were instead like, that's got nothing to do with it. That's just how your quirk is. And we'll always pick up the slack for you when your strength isn't enough. Uh, and also stop trying to compare yourself to all might. That's not going to happen guys. <laughs> I've seen her hair, <laughs> but, uh, star th reflects on this and is like regarding the, Oh, it's just cause you're a girl Cassie. She says, I've always hated those words, but they never once said that to me. Cool. Good to know your bros aren't jerks. That definitely makes me feel bad that, uh, Jeff is gonna die. <laughs> oh no, not Jeff! <laughs> he has so many gotcha games left to play. Uh, Jerry, let's call him okay. Jerry. Jerry's gonna die, and uh, he wasn't a sexist. Oh no, I'm gonna <laughs> die! That seems bad! <laughs> so, uh, the missiles that Star requested are arriving, uh, and Star says, okay, well, before I can take control of the missiles, I've got to release my laser rule. And when I do, you guys have to keep on shooting this guy. Uh, and uh, so she gets ready to do that. And Shigaraki, slash not Shigaraki, is down just, you know, pondering his next strategic move while lasers hit him in the face over and over and over again. He's like, okay, so how do I, what do I do about this? <laughs> be great. He's just down there. Ow, ow, ow. Did I leave the oven on? Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> and essentially he's trying to think through what Star is planning and is like, okay, she's got to know that this can't finish me off, which means that she's planning her actual big finishing move. Uh, and so, uh, this is referred to as um, a shitty game of hot potato uh, because they have to rapidly switch through stuff while this giant laser spear is still jamming into Nachiraki. So Star reaches out with one hand while keeping the laser spear in the other and counts down for the timing. And she switches off her control of the laser and switches it to the missiles and calls out Tiamat is redirected. And she's like, okay, before these things rip off my arm, because I just caught missiles, even if it is with my giant construct form, I better do this. And she redirects them. 
And she says, all right, it's okay as long as it applies the rule to even a single missile. And she spins around and, like, discus hucks the missiles into the earth and refers to this attack as state-of-the-art hypersonic intercontinental approves punch. So that's that's where the title comes from. It's not a missile. It's a punch. Ah. Now it's better. Yes. It, it was dumb before. But now that I see the now whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we get a couple of pages just showing the aftermath of, you know, nukes hitting this person. But then when Star looks down and she sees that the explosion of the missiles, which has wiped out the earth beneath them, and leaving this giant crater, she sees a tiny hole all the way at the bottom. And Shigaraki slash not Shigaraki bursts out of it and comes flying up towards her. And his flesh is like melting or regenerating. It's really ugly. And uh, not Shigaraki just says to himself to explain how this happened. Uh, he used decay on the ground and switched it from, you know, protecting himself from the laser to burrowing underground to hide from the missiles. Mm hmm. So the uh, fighter pilots try to get back into, into formation to support Star, but Nachigaraki is like, nope. Um, and there is a big old explosion of energy, which I'm sure is a quirk that he's got. I don't, I'm sure it was established at some point, but I can't recall exactly what it was. Uh, and then he says that he's going to make better use of your resources. Uh, he lands on one of the fighter pilots and the pilot calls out to star and says, Hey, do it. After all that damage, he's getting, you know, he's gotta be my craft going boom should blow him to bits. And star prepares to clap her hands the way that she did in the previous chapter and crush the plane with Shigaraki on it. And the pilot calls out, do it star. And there's a moment where she stares down and she thinks about how her bro is really cool to her. And she gets this just kind of resigned look on her face. And then we just see Shigaraki bolted to her and got his hand on her face. Mm -hmm. So I believe the implication here is that Star hesitated. She didn't want to do it because she would have killed her bud. She would have killed her bro. And that would not be a bro move. No. So that's why uh, she couldn't. That's why we had the whole flashback at the beginning. It's like, well, he didn't say I was weak because I was a girl. That's what a good friend he was. So. I mean, I get it, but it's definitely the weak link in this chapter. The character driven reason for why Shigaraki slash not Shigaraki slash all for one slash I don't know. Schmegel's the killer of worlds. I don't know um, why he's getting out of this uh, is because they were good friends. Um, I do like the way that the, the the giant world shaking nature of the fight kind of reached its zenith here. I thought that it was it played out very cinematically. I like the part where there's the huge explosion and then you just see like everything rocking away from it. 
and then his body comes up regenerating. Oh, that's really cool. Um, still having trouble getting used to Star and Stripe being the hero of this part of the story, and uh, she might be dead now, so... <laughs> I mean, that's, I think, my biggest issue with this, is I've kind of come to like Star and Stripe. Like, there's a lot about her that feels like it could be interesting, but it's going to be impossible to shake the feeling of, like, oh, we're just going to kind of meet her so she can die. <laughs> like, now that I see her, I'm like, I would like to know more about your trials and tribulations becoming the biggest hero in America. I would like to know more about your relationship with All Might. Have you ever met him again since he saved your life? You're the number one hero in America. Did you guys ever meet at any point? I would like to know your hopes and dreams. I would like to know a bit more about you as a character, but it feels like I knew just enough to give her a tiny bit of humanity to explain why she essentially loses this fight. Like, oh, she cares about her friends. That's why she lost this fight. And then it's like, and then she's going to die or lose her powers or something like that. It's just, it feels like I get a taste of something and then someone like reaches into my mouth and they rip out the rest of it. And my tongue goes with it. I'm like, oh, that's like, no, I shouldn't even have tried it then. Why did you even give it to me? Like, this was not worth the, the, the two seconds of sweet sensation. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I'm sh I feel as if this portion of it is not going to be something that I will actually have a full uh, ability to assess without having read the entire thing. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Usually that doesn't turn out well. Sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying not to be super angry right now because I don't know how the next chapter is going to go. I don't look at spoilers. Maybe she survives. And I don't know, maybe she punches fucking Shigaraki in the dick and he explodes. He was like, ah, my one weak point, like the bad guy from House oh, of... No. <laughs> Fuck, what was the haunted... Man no, not haunted mansion... Oh, it's the fucking arcade shooter. Ah, I can't remember it now. It's like the haunted house one. And I just remember the boss in one game in the second one. I think his weakness was his penis. And I only remember that because my brother finally got to the end at an arcade. And I remember the employee walking up because usually before a boss would show up and show you what their weak point is. And an employee walked up and said, the weak point in this one's the dick. They don't show you it, but that's the weak point. <laughs> What a cool, what a cool employee! Yeah. <laughs> Look, all right, you dumped all those quarters into it. I'll tell you how to beat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that had to have been thirty dollars, probably spent beating that game. Oh, I'm sure. House of the so, Dead is that? Yeah, that's it. House of the Dead, I believe. One of my best dump a bunch of tokens into an arcade machine experiences was uh, I went with uh, some of my friends to Chuck E. Cheese for my birthday, oh. and uh, three of us played the Simpsons arcade game all the way through. Hell yeah. That was a good time. I could see that. That one's a fucking quarter eater. Fucking <laughs> bullshit enemies. <laughs> Who'd you All play? Right. I played Homer. Of course. He's the best. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Undead Unluck then, Nick. Number 86. My armor is. And we start. Yes. In a flashback. As a yes. Shin is looking at the grave of her, or her grandfather with her father. Or perhaps it's her great-grandfather, because her dad says grandfather. It could be either. I assume it's grandfather. Just says, hey, 
now that grandfather has passed, the power of Unbreakable now rests within you. And Shin's like, not you? And it's like, yes, that's right. So from now on, your Unbreakable will, uh, your Unbreakable will protect this village. So we we leave the flashback and we go. She says, okay. Yeah, sure, dude. (laughs) It's going to work out real well. Oh, Uh, pressure. (laughs) uh, We go back to the top battle. Uh, where they're spinning it, Andy's just like, hey, sorry about this, I'll be controlled, but, uh, you know, it's it's all happening, so I'm gonna be going all out, and does a waxing dead blade moon attack, and you just see a shin holding up a sign that says, eek! <laughs> um, and suddenly a shin starts being surrounded by all this rubble, and we see Spring like, oh ho! And shin has crafted a stone wall to block and like, wow, an instant unbreakable wall. That's incredible. Uh, but Spring is like, yeah, doesn't matter. Undead will continue to spring to like spin and spin, and unbreakable will never be able to block. So inevitably, you'll go down first. Um, and suddenly, lightning crashes down into the arena, and uh, it's like, oh, what the fuck? That wasn't my unluck. It couldn't be. And Spring just starts laughing, being like. Ho ho, fortune favors you not. What say you, unluck? And Spring's fan says, spring to conclusions on it, which is an awesome thing for the fan to say. <laughs> um, so Fuko's like, ah, okay. So eye for an eye then. And uh, we go back to the top battle. Uh, Melee, it's like, oh, your unbreakable's starting to wear off. Your your stamina's gonna go down. And it should start sinking. If I lose, I won't be able to protect everybody like Fuko and the union members. It's always like this with my Unbreakable. And we go back to the flashback where uh, a yokai was attacking. And uh, presumably, I don't... Sorry, it is uh, Ishin, essentially, but it's her father. I got confused because for a moment I was like, is this her grandfather again? Like, no, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm back! Oh, I died again. <laughs> so Ishin has made her father uh, the armor and is standing standing up against this monster. Uh, does manage to succeed, but um, wasn't so unbreakable this time. <laughs> See, it got pretty broken, and it uh, looks like her... Oh, that's not so bad. What was he fighting? Oh, a creature made of lava. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, it looks like the damage is done, and uh, Shin's father is going to die, but he, he takes this opportunity to basically say, like, hey, look... You saved the village. Don't be ashamed. Never lose uh, to fear. Once you step past my corpse, then your armor will never again. And uh, we cut back as a shin, which is weird because we're getting this emotional moment and a shin is a fucking top right now <laughs> being like, I'm sorry, father, as I am now. I can't even protect myself, much less my friends. And Andy lands on a trail of blood. He's like, hey, this blood, it's not wait a minute and we see that the line of blood follows right from the bottom of the arena up to fuko herself uh and she's like she's yeah pass out that's a lot of blood it's a lot of blood uh and she says looks like you finally touched it andy we see clothy is biting her arm and uh he's like a fucking cat he's like i'm just attacking her i'm not helping her it's an attack that's why this is all good i'm just being a little scamp uh so 
a big uh, a big unluck stroke is coming his way now that he's touched Fuko's blood, and it comes in a gigantic ball of hail. So Fuko's like, you need to make an unbreakable shelter to withstand it, basically. So that's what's coming down right now, a freaking meteorite. And there, there's a note of like, did you have to go with this because this is actually a pretty big attack like it's not really going to stop the fight so much as it's going to kill all of us at this point so uh ashin dashes out uh stops being a top and is like hey uh we gotta do something <laughs> uh spring is like you left the ring of your own accord what a fool you are and ashin's like do you believe in my unbreakable and fuka's like i do that's why i called you here and Ashin takes her armor off and puts it on Fuko. And we continue the lesson. You mustn't lose to fear. Once you step past my corpse, then your armor will never again be unbreakable. And uh, we see what Ashin looks like without her armor. And Nick, she's a big, powerful muscle lady. She looks very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, all of the all the last several big muscle ladies that we've met in Shonen Jump have had long tenures. <laughs> uh, so it's like we just got done discussing one that's probably dead. I'm not going to move past another one that's going to go away forever. So yeah. <laughs> uh, the big meteorite goes down. Kablam! Uh, everyone's okay though, thanks to F uh, Fuko wearing the unbreakable armor. But um, unfortunately. Because uh, Unbreakable left the uh, arena, they're both out. <laughs> so yeah. they both lost. It's a draw, which doesn't make sense to me. Unbreakable should have just lost because they left the arena first. But Well, that's what they say. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. I missed that part. But yeah, because it went out of bounds first, the winner is spring. Uh. But it was one of the things that was like kind of a pseudo draw, but because of the timing, yes, uh, Fuko and Ishin lose the first round. Uh, I thought this was a nice chapter. And, you know, we're getting to know more about Ishin, uh, including, of course, the requisite. A member of the union uh, has a really bad past because someone that they loved as a kid is dead now or horribly maimed or whatever. Um and uh, I do, but I really like the the fact that, like, because of her failure, you know, she has actually seen someone die because they were relying on her abilities and they weren't up to stuff. It, it mm -hmm. really set, you know, that's the very clear, like, yeah, this is why she's a coward. It's, you know, she doesn't have any trust in her abilities and she feels as if, okay, well, if I step up, then I'm going to get someone killed because they're relying on my power and I'm not good enough. Uh, it's very straightforward uh, and effective. Uh, and uh, demonstrated quite brutally by uh, there apparently being a hole in her dad's chest when he <laughs> dies. So he uh, talked it out, though. That's the important thing. Yeah, yeah. He had a cool he had a cool line and he, and he died with a smile, it seems like. So uh, the trail of blood thing. OK, Fuko, I get it. You're a badass. But um, just uh, just just drink some drink some Gatorade after this, you know, get some <laughs> electrolytes back in you. Get, get a little bit back in you. And uh, yeah, I, I forget if this was like a two out of three rounds thing or if they established it's what... it's it's two out of three. Okay. So this is a way to put them down from the beginning. I'll be more curious to see in the future, like in the next round, who gets used, because I assume this is an opportunity to use some of those characters who are out there. Hmm. 
but it's a weird way to do it because they have to be tops the whole fucking time. <laughs> so right, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. I do like Ashin's design out yeah. of her armor. She looks like a fighting game character. She does. I think she looks very cool. And I do like how we continuously kind of see these characters with their dumb designs until they get like their regular designs afterwards, like Tatiana and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, cool. We get like different designs for these characters eventually. Which is Tatiana's dumb design? The big orb. Well, like you didn't know what it That's was at first. Design. Well, what I mean is like you didn't know what it was at first. It was just a big fucking ball with a tie. And then you're like, oh, there's like a person and shit behind this and like stuff that makes sense afterwards. Whereas this one is like, why is this this dude in armor who says fucking nothing? Like, since it's fucking nothing. And it's like, oh, okay. It's actually this cool big buff girl who doesn't say anything because she's got massive anxiety. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, very humanizing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move we on. Some, we got something to talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about chapter 167 of Eden Zero. Proof in our hearts that she lived. So we open. The war is over. Emperor Nero is dead. Long live the no emperor. We won. We did it. Um, and we see everybody who's excited that the war is over. And then we cut over to the Empire who's like, we, we, we lost? No. And then a bunch of robots come up to kill them. And it's robots that have dead cam on it. And we get a little thankful note that says, made by dead cam. <laughs> and the yeah, dead I have cam no idea what the fuck that was about. Uh, I do recall us meeting this character in like two panels or something like that. Like some robot making CEO or whatever. Um who was just like, hey, we won the war and defended the dignity of robots. I forbid you to shooting anybody, essentially. So it's done now. We cut over to... I feel as if this would have been more effective if instead of having the made by dead cam, we just had the, you know, the logo on the face. And then when dead cam CEO guy shows up, we just get a little box saying, blah, blah, blah inventor ceo or whatever yeah that way you're reminded of who they are and then you know why the robots are there and are important as opposed to getting one panel that says twice this robot was made by dead cam yeah. <laughs> uh we cut over to not urza who is walking around on the ruins of poseidon one narrow one whatever the fuck the temple she sees ziggy and he's like oh it's been a while he starts doing the whole song. He's like, it's been a while since I last something you again. It's been a while <laughs> since I killed another guy and took his powers. Except, no, wait, that just happened. <laughs> it's been a while since I broke somebody's dice and destroyed his entire empire and his family. Oh, oh wait. Today. Hang on. I did um... that immediately. <laughs> uh, so they have a little bit of a, a, a showdown, so to speak. Where she's like, uh, he's like, I didn't think you'd set foot on a planet swarming with Union Army soldiers. And she's like, I'm I'm surprised you would, asshole. You have way more enemies than I do. And he's like, touche. <laughs> Guess I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> um, and she's, she's like, is this what you want to defeat Nero and take over the Empire? And he's like, that was my plan, but now I don't need it. Because Shiki made the wrong choice. The grand circle of fate I had expected to complete has been broken. Even I can't predict what will happen now that World 31 has begun. 
And Elsie's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Shiki, number 31. And he's like, you don't need to know. Humanity will eventually be destroyed by the future that cannot be changed. Uh, and he's like, I will kill everybody. But I see in your eyes a new look. I'm wounded, you know. You could actually kill me here. And she's like, I'm not going to kill you. Like, he, he immediately starts laughing and stuff. He's like, oh, oh, if if you had died then, you wouldn't have to deal with all this mental trauma, you know. It, it kind of sucks if you'd just been left out to space to die, you know. And she's like, no, I saved your life, so I'm not going to take advantage of you here. And he's like, you're an idiot. And she's like, no, I'm not. He's like, oh, 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 yes, you are. That's that's kind of how that goes. Yeah. Um, I this is the part of the chapter that I am the most torn on because I do appreciate, as I do with a lot of things at Ian Zero, what it's trying to go for. I feel like so often there's like an idea in Ian Zero where I go like, I respect what you're trying to do, but you failed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And this is kind of one of those cases. And a lot of it just has to do with the fact that Elsie, Urza, whatever you want to call her, is just not a good character. Uh, and we keep on getting told that she's important and she is made up at, to be like this very important character in the lore of the series. But we still don't really know who she is as a person enough to care about what she does. But the idea that she's like this person saved my life once, so I'm not going to just kill them off really mercilessly just because the thing, it looks like it's the most opportune time for me to do it because that's what he still means to me despite the person he's become. I get that. Um, but she comes across as kind of just stupid, honestly, for not taking out this guy who um, blew up a planet. <laughs> a whole sector. A whole sector of lives have been lost. Um, when you have scale of the scale of death that he is responsible for, you should take him out. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And I feel like we're not in her head enough to appreciate why she makes this decision. It's, it does just come across that he's right. She's just being stupid. Yeah. Now, what I will say about this portion of it that I did think actually had an effect on me in terms of like helping me to better understand stuff and get what the story was going for properly. Uh, I am 100% convinced that Ziggy is insane now by this. Uh, but, you know, he, the way he laughs at her about stuff, the way he's talking about, like, alternate worlds and everything, obviously we know that's true, but it seems like this revelation has caused him to lose it, and I think that that makes him more dangerous, and I appreciate that. I, I had a long discussion on our Discord about the revelation in this, that we're in World 31 now, because in my mind I was like, why aren't we in world 34? Because Rebecca used Cat Leaper three different times throughout the arc. And then mm. seemingly the choice that made the divide here is Shiki choosing not to go after the bombs. Now, right. I'm overthinking this. I'm going to state this for the record. I shouldn't put this much thought to this dumb manga. The, the attitude I'm going with is that all of Rebecca's Cat Leapers were essentially to do the same thing. They were all to save somebody's life or to keep her from losing her legs. And for whatever reason, all of those led to the decision 
that Shiki then made. Maybe if Homura had been mind-controlled and one of them died in the mirror fight, or if Rebecca had lost her legs, Shiki would have felt dumb and suicidal and decided to go after the bomb instead. But no one... There's not enough clues to suggest that's the implication. Like, I still... I feel like that entire scene needs like a chapter rewrite to it to explain mm. why that was actually a significant thing that happened. Cause I, right now I feel like I have to kind of grasp at straws. There's no concrete kind of uh, explanation for why any, any of that's happening. I will not be shocked if there will actually be a chapter where that discussion, where that timeline stuff is discussed and actually laid out more clearly mm. because I will give this this chapter a lot of credit there are a lot of talking points about past things that happened in this series that it recontextualizes in this chapter to the series benefit yes so i will not be surprised if down the line ziggy actually lays out these are when the worlds were created or were or the divergent moments where we'll actually see like that thing that we saw with shiki and jamei this was where the last one happened or this was when the next one happened or whatever. And that's why this, I can't see what happens next. So, yeah, exactly. Um, we cut back over to the in zero where, uh, Jin clean and Laguna are all sitting around and, uh, Laguna ever the tactful person says it's been two days. Are they all still moping about their mom being dead? <laughs> really weird <laughs> yeah it's a weirdly callous thing for him to have said um they're all basically like hey we didn't really get to know her that long so it's not hitting us as hard but then weiss shows up and looks at laguna and we get a a call back to when they were about to start this mission and weiss very super aggressively was like if any boy happens to my crew and they don't i'm willing to kill you then and uh, Laguna kind of accepts, like, oh, he's probably going to beat the shit out of me now or be really angry because that happened. And instead, Weiss says, I take it back. You, some of your friends were killed, too. And we see a little image of Ajuna. And uh, Weiss just uh, says, I'm sorry for your loss as he walks away. And Laguna wants to say something, but Jin's like, don't say it. Not now. It's actually a very good scene. I, I I I actually really appreciate this that Weiss is like you know remembers like he made all those threats and stuff but he knows that Lucuna is different now and he's not going to actually follow through on you know killing a guy yeah. <laughs> for that reason. So I'd appreciate it more if it was Weiss also saying that was a weird thing for me to have said back then <laughs> like a weirdly aggressive thing but we're never gonna get that that's just the the way the series works I'll take what we can get. I'll uh, take the show. I'll take the shonen method of doing that, which was I take it back. Yeah. Like that's. <laughs> uh, we cut over to the observation deck where Hermit and Sister are kind of hanging around. I think Moskoy is there too, but I don't care. Um, and me, it's sort of like, wow. First we lost Valkyrie, now which all of us like another one of the shining stars are dying. Um, Amora's like, it will make Witch sad if you guys talk about it like this. But it, it's it's very clear that the robots are taking this loss pretty hard They're, they don't know how to process it particularly witch and our sister and hermit who you know that was their family essentially they don't they, they're never going to get to see her again but her is just like we all feel the same way about it 
Uh, we cut over. Rebecca finds Shiki alone in his room. She's like, hey, you haven't had anything to eat in two days. And he's like, yeah, I just I can't get anything down. She's like, but if you don't eat, it's going to wreck your health. They have a little bit of like a silent moment. And then Rebecca's like, do you remember what you told Hamor in front of Valkyrie? That if you have friends, you could move on. And that was pretty much the Shiki's like, that was the worst thing I could have said, huh? And Rebecca's like, no, I, I think that's actually what Hamora needed to hear at that point. But Shiki's like, no, I can't. Witch, she's... And he thinks back to all the iconic moments of Witch. Witch fondling her breasts. Witch as a dog. Witch in her battle outfit. And Witch in a swimsuit. <laughs> Those were all four of the big scenes from Witch. Uh... <laughs> uh, and... Shiki just says, I keep seeing her face, hearing her gentle voice. I can't get them out of my head. I just can't forget all the good times we had together. And Rebecca says, right, because you should never forget them. And she's like, how can you be so okay with this? And she says, do I look like I'm okay? And she opens up her shirt and you can see cracks all over her body. And she says, of course I'm not okay. I've been trying to use my cat powers for two days because I couldn't get us back to that moment. So if you don't get it back on your feet soon... I might literally wreck myself. And she's like, I miss Witch too. We had plans to go shopping together. And Shiki hugs her and says, I'm sorry. I'm not sure I could do it right now, but I have to accept this. I have to accept the death of my friend, the proof that she led. After all, we're family. He doesn't say it like Vin Diesel, probably, but I like to hope he does. Um, When Rebecca opened up her shirt... I was like, oh, no, why? Why? <laughs> and then it's to show off the cracks and stuff. And I'm like, okay, you still didn't have to put her in a frilly bra for this moment. The 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 part that annoys me so much is that it's very clearly a texture put onto her bra. And it stands out really weird. Like, the best way I could describe it is, like, after you found out that to do reshoots of Batman or uh, the Justice League, they had to CGI part of uh henry cavill's lip because they had to remove yeah. a bunch of it feels like someone like cgi'd a bra onto her when they're like this scene's far too sexual she's topless you got to put something on her it, yeah it's it and it's completely unnecessary for her to have the eye drawing design to it because yeah. like you're supposed to be looking at all the damage around it um and well, she she, she came in in her laziest bra that's the yeah, important absolutely. thing <laughs> this is the bra that i wear when <laughs> when i'm sad yeah. <laughs> this is my sadness bra my grieving bra i mean i think that like it's such a thing where it's like because it's mashima hero doing this series moments like this lose their impact because like oh well she has to kind of show some skin for this bit so now it's a quasi sexy moment when it should be a horrifying moment. And it is still shocking to see that she has used her powers this much that it seems like she's a porcelain doll that's starting to crack apart. That's mm. how much the damage has gone to her. And just the revelation of I've been spending two days straight trying to go back in time to save her and I just can't do it. That's all really heart wrenching stuff. I do really like the moment where Shiki says, I probably said the worst thing I possibly could have to Hamura. Now he understands that because now he's experienced that kind of loss. But Rebecca does kind of dig her heels in on it and say, yeah, but I think that she needed that. And history has kind of shown that, yes, for her in that moment, it was effective. But I do really like the exchange that Rebecca and Shiki have. It's just unfortunate that we get 
the weird sexual element to it and all the weird sexual elements to witch's loss because it would be so much more devastating if we had more moments involving her that weren't about making her, you know, the milf bot of the crew. <laughs> Good old milf bot. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can agree with you in principle. I like a lot of this and I will say in an objective, like this is a good thing that hero has done. This is much better pacing than I'm usually used to in hero series. I feel like previously we would already have been moving on to like what the next arc is, or, as opposed to this being mm -hmm. sort of an entire chapter, almost dedicated to just the crew processing their various levels of grief from the characters who barely knew her to the characters who knew her the most to our leads who are basically trying to process it in very different ways. Um, I also like the idea of, hey, let's hide Rebecca from the reader until we do the reveal that, oh, half for bias destroyed. Again, she didn't need to take off her shirt for it. She easily could have just been in a tank top. And yeah. now we turn and see that the entire fucking left side of her body is cracking apart. There's no reason for her to have had to take a shirt off at all. Uh, that's a weird thing Hero did. Um, but the biggest thing is just I don't give a shit about which like I, like in the nicest way i just haven't really like i constantly mix her and sister up just because they both feel kind of the same to me at least hermit i'm like oh yeah it's like the little girl robot one like i can remember her a little bit easier but i mix witch and sister up all the time like I, I don't know. I, I if she was a more memorable character, I probably would have. But it's it's not like I have a ton of fond uh, fucking witch scenes to go back to and be like, oh no, witch. As, as demonstrated by the montage included in yeah. this chapter. <laughs> um, I also like that they draw attention to the fact of, oh man, we've lost two of the shining generals. Are more of us going to die? Which. Honestly, I feel like might be a possibility. Like that's just kind of, you know, the an ongoing thing where like it, part of moving on from Ziggy to Shiki is going to be the old four shining generals dying off, which could could as this chapter has helped to demonstrate and as Valkyrie's lost up to demonstrate could actually be very sad and dramatic. It's just going to be a matter of you can't just do it when you want to do it. You have to lay the foundation for it to be effective when the moment comes by having us actually, you know, have things to grab onto when it comes to sister. I feel like when if Hermit dies off, then we've got enough from her that it'll actually like you'll actually feel we had, something. We had an arc dedicated to her and her emotions and her whole core. If sister dies, it's like, oh, no, less BDSM jokes. Uh, How will we survive? That's going to be the thing is make these girls more than just the sexy ladies with an associated fetish. And then you'll care if you actually kill off their characters. So. Speaking of. Uh, so the, I don't know how to transition to this. It's the final chapter of the Hunter's Guild, <laughs> Red Hood. The battle is. Um, so, well, it's weird to do the battle is not to talk is the final chapter. So you never get to follow it up. Yeah, <laughs> you'll never get to close that off. Uh, a fight happens. Uh, Debonair is trying to fight Geppetto, who has, you know, I have control of the narrative 
powers. So he just makes entire rocks and stuff, pin her down and everything. Um, he could do anything, Nick, just like Grevy. So, of course, his first move is a lot of rocks. <laughs> uh, Grim, while riding around on Cinderella's broom, says, why am I here? And Cinderella says, good question. And she says, can you use your magic to force my clock forward? <laughs> like, oh, okay. Uh, and Cinderella says, well, but you transformed pretty recently. And if you don't give your body enough of a break, it might not hold up under the stress. And Grim just says... The world is ending. <laughs> Who cares? Let me fight. We cut down to Velo in the um, area where the book is kept. And he's trying to get out while going, oh, I've got to get out of here. And the elite Red Hood is just chilling out with the book in the bed going, that will be difficult. So Velo says, is there anything I can do? I'll be stuck in here twiddling my thumbs until the world ends at this rate. <gasps> Wait a minute. If I die right now, what happens to the power in me? And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be just like, <laughs> oh, what was it called? Stealth Symphony. <laughs> That's OK. We just have to kill the protagonist. And everything will be solved. <laughs> so he literally goes to gun phone answer guy and is like, what if you kill me? Um, but the elite red hood says, well, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Your death may erase the power, but it might not. It could just, you know, remain. So, I mean, you are a being who was tossed into this story from outside. Do you see what that means? Right now in this entire world, you and you alone can make whatever choice you wish, says the person holding the book that lets them do whatever <laughs> you can make a happy ending or a tragic one what sort of ending do you want for this story and Velo says I look you've got 16 pages left in your entire series you're really gonna <laughs> do this <laughs> no, oh, no no take your time to... <laughs> really attention a little bit more. really draw this out savor every second uh geppetto uh, makes a mountain fall on debonair uh she's fine i guess no no he didn't make a mountain fall on her he made a mountain start walking and he summons a bunch of uh man-eating plant things from it and he says, for all that you can control your curse, your body still has limits. Stop resisting and you can vanish without suffering. And Demonair is like, look, I was supposed to be a really cool and important character, so I'm going to get a badass line right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hunter and I'm going to be a hunter to the world's last gasp. Series is ending in 14 pages, so <laughs> you should every every time you finish a page, just note how soon it is before the series is done. <laughs> <Two pages left. laughs> so Javetta's like, I see. Then hunt these monsters to your art's content. And Demeter says, an obvious ploy to buy time. Well, it won't work. I've got plenty of. I mean, how much was that? Uh, 13 pages left. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 13 pages left to beat up all these monsters. <laughs> 
the hunters from the training arc arrive to help out and they start cutting into the man-eating plants. Tilty is there and Bonkers and Portion and look at all these characters that were going to be important. Portion even gets a line. Look, she was going to be so important, guys. <laughs> Portion was going to be cool. Tilty was going to be cool. Now, we all know Milty wasn't. That's That was a foregone conclusion. Who is she? <laughs> There's only so many women you can have in Jump, and unfortunately, she wasn't buff enough to be hot, apparently, or whatever. <laughs> like, she, was, she wasn't buff enough to be a, a weird, like, uh, fetish creature, so no time Look, for her. Her power set is basically just Tilty's. Let's be real. I mean... <laughs> they both... I don't know. Like, everyone does crazy stuff, so, like... Tilty being like, I have swords. I'm like, fuck off. Get out of here. Give me that fucking, <laughs> give me that fucking fungus dude. I want him back right now. There's only Milty. 12 packed or 12 chapters left. Tilty was a sniper, I think, basically. She had a gun. Okay. <laughs> uh, Debonair reacts to all of her tradies coming by going, you lot. Which sounds like a. Hey. I guess. Fuck you, Debonair. They are all hunters. You should treat them with respect. It was your stupid exam that got them approved. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, she says, what are you all doing here? It's dangerous. Get back to the iron sides. And I think this is Milty, but it's kind of hard to tell. Says, we were trained by you, remember? And Bonker says, yeah, to save the world. And Tilty says, we're hunters now. Okay. <laughs> I really wish there was a shot of like a <laughs> milty and it's just like she's been impaled into a trash can or something like that like everyone was like and all of us are here to celebrate together it's just a shot of like milty's fallen off the truck and she's been broken upon the rocks like help me just like it's the same ch uh chapter ending image from a few chapters ago when they were celebrating passing the test <laughs> the exact same pose except milty's tombstone is in the so um we cut back to velo and the elite red hood who says i see that is your answer and velo says yeah but then there's a wham and huh oh man i guess we'll have to wait 12 more pages to find <laughs> out what he was gonna say there um grim kicks in the wall she's in her adult form again and she's like, well, that was easy. <laughs> the impenetrable, no entrances thing. All right, I just kicked in the wall. There's a bit of drywall here that's really Boom. loose. All right. Protecting the world's greatest treasure. She says to Velo, how could you let yourself get caught like this? Oh, well. I mean, like someone he trusted grabbed him and then teleported him away. I mean, it's... Yeah, we uh... <laughs> got back to... <laughs> And a flashback to explain. Oh, no, no, no. See, look, the chapter ends at 11. The series ends at 11 pages, but Grim's got a time limit she's working. Against. Yeah. <laughs> because the transformation ends when the clock strikes midnight. See, because she's Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I get it. So Cinderella says, and when the time limit expires, there's no telling what'll happen next. Who knows? Maybe you'll die. Or maybe you'll be like Hitsugaya and you'll just stay transformed, but be sexier, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Grimm says thanks, and Cinderella gets grossed out because I guess any show of friendliness or affection is poison to her. Maybe that was the reason why Debonair kissed her before. Maybe this was supposed to be an important character trait, but we'll never know now. Anyway, uh, Nick, every every one of the characters in Red Hood had a personality trait we didn't get time for. You know, that was her. She she's she's uncomfortable with personal displays of affection. Uh, yeah. we didn't get to pick Joe Bonkers, which is that he he's in deep debt to the Russian mafia. Uh, there's a lot of issues that go on there. He has a child, Gregory, that we never Gregory Bonkers. <laughs> we haven't get yeah. the scene. Yeah. The guy who had the uh um Asian breath weapon power stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was into NFTs. Yeah, uh, he was big into he it. He was. He didn't understand at all how they worked. He had no um, no idea. He, but no he, idea. he, but he had explained it to people, and they would say how they actually worked, and he would be like, "No, but you just have to trust in the blockchain or whatever it is." He has seventeen pictures of monkeys in various different accoutrements, and he is also in debt uh, for a much larger amount than Big Joe Bonkers is. Um, I hope to God that if anyone come, you know, two three years from now feels like you know going back and listening to it all of the times we talked about red hood gets this and was like oh my god nfts remember when that was a thing i hope to god that's how you you praying that they don't come in they're like oh you sweet innocent children back when nfts were (laughs) oh still in their infancy i you know those moments uh where you I, i think the easiest way to describe it did you listen to uh bill uh burnham i think is his name no bo burnham uh, he did a mm-hmm. special. He has that that funny feeling song where you're just like the things that just give you that funny feeling of how society is crumbling in on itself. I've heard it once. I, I, I think literally once. So. It, it, it's a good way to describe those moments where you're like, what is happening? And I had that exact moment when I saw Disney is making NFTs and they've made one of Wally. And I was like, I don't know how you can miss harder than this you 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 could like there is not a a a more flagrant way to misinterpret what the entire point of that movie was (laughs) like yeah you're like hey i have a toy story branded toy burning uh (laughs) box essentially like i don't know how you can misunderstand this more oh my god so Cinderella uh, is on her broomstick and uh, Grimm throws herself off of it and says, if we survive this, let's fight again sometime. And Cinderella says, you bet we will. Within the next eight pages, we'll fight again. And then she's like, I'm good witch of whatever to nobody because she's a cool character. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. We cut down to Grim and Velo, and she says, "Give me the book." <laughs> this is so in in a, a an assortment of chapters recently that have been off the walls. This chapter was shockingly restrained and like simple, except for this moment <laughs> when she's like, "Give me your so, book." <laughs> Grim says, "Give me the book. I'll just you know pull you out of here, you know, and." I guess because she's missed the whole boat on like, no, the book doesn't affect Velo. <laughs> but the elite Red Hood says, no, use this. It turns Give into a fucking gun. 
a gun with a book for its magazine. And Grim looks at it and just goes, what the heck? <laughs> the book is in the shape of a rifle. And the whole gun is a book. Like, the whole fucking thing. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> Guns don't kill people. Books kill people. Well, I'm like, are you implying the inherent shape of a gun is what makes it deadly? <laughs> like that any like if I put breadsticks together in the shape of a gun, it could kill people. Chris, we've got seven pages left. I to know this. I know, but <laughs> because... <laughs> so the elite Red Hood says, "I wove your power together with the book to create a magical rifle." All right. If you can fire that into him, the two negating fire what? It is a book. There is no ammunition in it. There are no firing mechanisms. <laughs> just like pulls the trigger and the what trigger? There's no mechanisms. It's just a big book in the shape of a gun. He just holds it up and goes. Bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to just make the noise. Kaboom. <laughs> he just goes, oh, I gave myself a paper cut. <laughs> ow, ow. <laughs> uh, so, Bellow goes, really? <laughs> and then the elite red hood throws their hood at Bellow. <laughs> and of course, we don't see them. Because some mysteries must go unexplained, like, who was the Elite Red Hood? What did they look like? Were they even really human? Who knows? Maybe if you read the next seven pages, you'll find <laughs> out, but you won't. So, <laughs> so, the Elite Red Hood, not anymore, says, I certainly don't require this anymore. It's your turn to pull the trigger. All right, this is the first ever time that, like, references to triggers have been used. And look, that's getting in on, like, seven other properties territory. Yeah. So don't you try and get in on this the last minute. You shut the fuck up, Red Hood. <laughs> um, meanwhile, things aren't going well for the uh, hunters that are trying to fight against Geppetto because the book is eroding everything. Its concepts is being eroded further, so its concepts are getting scrambled. So, oh, oh, up is down, left is right. Look, there's paper cranes in the sky, maybe? And uh, Portion's whip turned into um, a rope that has uh, flowers. No, not Portion's whip! Anyway. <laughs> Geppetto says, finally, I won't let it be the end as long as there are still pages left in the book. <laughs> this book, and also the one we're in. <laughs> and like I, I wish said, he somehow cocked it like a shotgun. The book. <laughs> the the book gun does not have a barrel. It's just a really long book with a long <laughs> spine. There, there there's no sights. There's no. <laughs> so he's looking down the spine of the book like it's a gun barrel coming in on hmm oh it's an object all right that he's flying in on he's there because he's standing on something as he mm -hmm. as he approaches the battlefield and geppetto says to the puppet that he is using to destroy the world and has sunk 
years of planning into. You children again? Like, he's just dismissing Velo, the center of all of his plans, completely out of hand. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, then he says, Can you really shoot me, Velo? I bet you can't bring yourself to it. Not in the last five pages. The world is already coming apart at the seams. And if you do kill me, all that will remain is a world with no guiding scenario. Do you truly believe anyone can be happy in a world like that? And Velo says, when all said and done, isn't that what it means to live, Mayor? Everyone's the main character of their own story, and they'll all reach their own individual ending. No one will know what kind of story it was until it's over. There's no telling what the future will bring. No predictable scenario for it to follow. I disagree. And yet, we'll all keep struggling, fighting for our happiness. And we cut back to the conversation with the elite Red Hood, where Velo said, I think, I don't want any ending, happy or sad. I want the world to keep going. Yeah, a lot of people have messed with it, but everyone still has their own path that they've walked to get this far. And they'll keep on continuing to walk it for the next four pages. Grimm says, it's okay if we can't see where those paths will eventually take us, I can tell you. We'll still keep struggling, fighting, living. And Velo says, oh wait, that was Velo the whole time. Sorry, the focus on the braid threw me off. Also the hood threw me off. Velo says, I'm going to live, Mayor. And the mayor is just like, well, if that's the case, I feel much better. Okay. <laughs> pulls the trigger. It hits the mayor. And there's a thing. Boom. And that brings us to our final two pages. First with Cinderella going, the book is gone. That means the scenarios are gone too. But they're still alive. And as long as humans are around... There will be more werewolves. And we see Debonair celebrating with all of the former apprentice hunters. And then we cut over to Velo. Except Milty. We don't get Milty anywhere. <laughs> nope. You can see Bonkers in the background. Uh, Portion's right there in the foreground because she was going to be probably a really important character. She's been very prominent for a character that never did anything. I think actually you can see literally every character but Milty. Well, you can't see the Chinese breath guy, but you can see Mariopus and you can see the eye patch capitalist guy even back there and yeah uh, and the priestess lady you literally like it's essentially that breath guy and milty they're the only two that didn't matter enough velo says to grim the overarching scenario is gone now's when our hunt begins for real and grim says and that's where the vaccine comes in yeah remember that plot point <laughs> really definitely mattered yes look there's one page left just just let them happen <laughs> so velo says this time let's save the world for real we'll make fairy tales into reality our fight is only just beginning the end <laughs> credits <laughs> look I'm not going to make fun of Red Hood for ending early. I think that it had uh, signs that showed that it could have had potential if it had gone on longer. But at a certain point, all this stuff was insanely deliberate for it to say, 
no, things will keep going, and we're just getting started. It was basically in direct opposition of the fact that it was ending. And it just kind of played the whole, this is a fairy tale with story references stuff to kind of just play into it. And at a certain point, it was kind of really lazy that that was the story that was being told. Uh, So, to you, doing this in response to your cancellation, I say, yeah, but it still wasn't very good. (laughs) So, I, I introduced an element into Monthly Other Recap last month, where when a series ends... I asked three questions regarding it. And I wanted to import that to here for the few series. So the first question is, how did it end? Did it end with dignity? Did it end in a clusterfuck? What happened? And this series ended in a wonderful, colossal, flaming library where all the books are on fire and everyone's trying to get out. But some people are carrying some of the books that are on fire, and some people are blaming you for starting the fire, like it was your fault that this is happening, and uh, it was kind of wonderful in that way. Yeah. Uh, do you want to ask the other questions, or just yeah. the one? Okay. Well, yeah, the second question is, do you think this series deserved better? Slightly. Slightly? Uh, not a whole... Not. I think that it does boil down to the way that it was structured uh, and the things that were put out in front first. I think that by the end of the training arc, you had been introduced to some colorful characters with some interesting powers and you could have done stuff with them. Unfortunately, because of the way things were kind of laid out at the beginning, it took a while to get there. And I did not think that this was going to be a series about, Oh, look at all these weird, wacky, colorful characters uh, I just thought it was going to be about, hey, we're going to do a twist on, you know, monster hunting from fairy tales, which has already been done before. Mm-hmm. And that was basically just going to be it. Um, I think that, yes, a lot of people were just thirsty for the characters, but that still means the characters had an impact on people and they were remembered. And I think that if some of the characters we were introduced to had been introduced earlier, things would have turned out differently. I do have my doubts about uh, Kawaguchi's writing chops. Uh, Nothing about the story in general really struck me as very, very cool by the end. Um, I do, however, think that they're going to have another series that we will get to see eventually that will probably eventually get them more success. Remember that this was a thing that came from a Golden Future Cup entry that won the contest. Uh, and sometimes this, those just don't turn out well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so maybe their actual big hit is going to be their second series. Who knows? Yeah. Last question, and this is perhaps the most important. Will this series be remembered? In the long term, five, five years from now, yes. how often do you find yourself thinking this is going to be a series that will be fondly remembered or remembered at do all? I? In general, um, do you think it's going to be a remembered series? Like, because so, every so often we'll talk about series that ended. Like last Sayuki. There's too much. There's too much porn of it for it not to be. <laughs> That's the defining factor. Is enough porn? It reached a critical mass of porn created for it that'll help it stay in the consciousness. It's a good measuring tool for what piques people's interest on a very visceral level. Okay. It did. It decided who won between uh, Blu-ray and HD DVD. So, 
Yep. <laughs> it's just a, that's just a fun fact about the world that you can enjoy. Uh, the only thing, last thing I want to say about this series is um, the copium that exists for this series right now is fucking astronomical. I saw somebody today create a thread that was about series of jump like fucking 40 years ago that ended and then came back under different circumstances that ended for a really long time. And they were like, look, I'm not saying it's going to happen for it. I'm just saying there's a precedent for it. And I, I, I like, I keep looking at this. It's like, I don't like, I, I applaud you, but this is, this is so much. It's gone. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to have to tell you it. I want to let you believe, but it's done. You have to move on. <sighs> I'll get over it. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to Magachan God of Destruction, Chapter 66, Ninitsi the Astral. Uh, I did not read this chapter very closely, so I don't remember very much about it. Uh, but uh, we opened the chapter with Izma getting tutoring from Ren with help from Magu and Naputuku, uh, who <laughs> make models out uh, for geometry lessons out of Magu's morphalactics. So... Okay, uh, it's going quite well. Um, Naputuku is like, I wanted to go shopping, uh, but apparently they all were asked to help out by Ruru, and none of them can say no to her. So there you go. Uh, Ruru, meanwhile, is going out and shopping with Uneris, which means that Uneris is kept away from us for most of this chapter. Good for you, Ruru. You're such a good person. So. Uh, meanwhile, Ren has at some point noticed that Izuma's sister is just um, lurking outside, watching them, disappointed in her brother. And uh, we get kind of a reintroduction to Seira and to uh, her unranked being partner, Pokemon Digimon, uh, Ninitsi, the astral, who can um, make portals and stuff. Uh, so Seira's worried about her brother, and Ninitsi says, we really could help him with his surveillance. And Sarah says... No, I'll die. Don't really know what that means, but maybe she means that if she gets close to all the weirdos that Izuma hangs out with, maybe that's what she means. Uh, I think she fears them at the moment. She thinks they're going to like try to hurt her or kill her or something like that. Because they have demonstrated that they have weird relationships with chaos gods. Yeah, she's, she's, she's just nervous. So Ren just pokes his head outside of his window because she's clinging to a telephone pole outside. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> We're trying to study it here. <laughs> Go away. If you want to be with your brother, then just come inside like a normal person. Sarah's like, no, I'm here to observe. And and I can't understand what happened to my brother. And like, why, why would he call some plain, dull, nobody like you master? And Ren's like, shut up or I'll kill you. <laughs> Which is all right. <laughs> it's a little bit excessive, dude. But he's really pissed off, so he just, you know, slams the window and goes back inside. Uh, and he also closes the curtain, to which Sarah's like, No! Now I can't spy on everyone! What's What am I going to do? I'm worried that my brother's going to be cooked and eaten by Naputuku. Naputuku would do it if he could. He, he would, would do he it. He would. Uh, look, it's just like, you know, like, you know, some of your pets would eat you. If they could. Sorry. They're just, they're just animals. Yeah. Uh, so she has no choice but to 
infiltrate the den of wicked gods, a.k.a. Ren's family's restaurant where they live. So, uh, And uh, so she's really worried that the gods are going to kill her uh, while they go in. Uh, and Nanitsi also points out, like, you might draw attention from people like you did at school. So, well, that was your fault, Nanitsi. You teleported her into a crowded corridor. Anyway, but she says... I've been studying the ways of this primitive world. There's no way I'll just waltz into a restaurant. I've gone through plenty of mental scenarios about how to order and stuff. Which doesn't seem like it would be the great way to get up to the room, but never mind. So she goes in and starts acting like she's a customer to Rin. Meanwhile, she's like wearing the most obvious suspicious person disguise ever with like, you know, a trench coat and sunglasses and a mask. So... Yep. Uh, she orders an iced light cafe mocha with extra milk and chocolate sauce. Make it a grande. Which is that a do, do people like those things? That seems like a lot of chocolate and uh, coffee. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, I do not believe I could drink it even if I was forced to. Like, the very notion of a mocha of any kind is making me be like, oof, why would you, why don't you just throw it out? You could you could scoop up the, the whipped cream, I guess. That, that could be edible. Okay. Also, and this is tragic news. This may be the worst news I've heard all week. Okay. I went to Starbucks. Okay. To get my first chegnog of the season. What is, what is chegnog? chai eggnog latte where they make a, okay. a chai latte but with eggnog instead of milk i don't know if i've ever had chai so. it's basically just tea it's like the spice oh, tea okay. little cinnamon stuff like that in it it's good i would i would try that it's pretty like it's very very good go there ask for it they discontinued the eggnog at starbucks Aww. so there's no checknogs this season now i could make it myself at home but then that would require me buying a thing of eggnog. And that's a dangerous thing because I'm just going to drink it all. And then I'm just going to die of a lot of things. Eggnog <laughs> is my is my major holiday indulgence every year. Love it's, eggnog. So. It is maybe pound for pound the worst thing you can put in your body. But it's I don't so, care. It's so good. <laughs> it's so fucking good. <laughs> it's essentially just liquefied calories and sugar. And I, I love every second of it. <laughs> Look, once you accept what it is, <laughs> yeah, you're like, all right, point voyage. I'm gonna eat a, I'm gonna eat a, gra a celery stalk or something. I guess to try to make up for this. Look, I mean, all that you need to know about how unhealthy it is is think about anything else that you pour into a glass to drink, and then think about how slowly it takes to pour into. A <laughs> it really, it really is. Like, it's fucking it's so good but it's it's one of those things like you should generally make this a habit when you eat food is like check the back of it to like see the nutritional facts and the nutritional facts on eggnog are like the saddest thing to read where you're like oh 400 calories per serving size that's a little that's a little excessive but i am being good and then you see like the serving size is like a third of a cup and you're like oh so this glass i poured is like uh 1200 calories then okay Oh boy. Um anyway, the joke is that uh uh Sarah thought that this would be a place where she could, you know, be uh uh you know, a yuppie 
and get a nice tasty drink but no it's just it's just a family diner so they don't have that kind of stuff she can only have a regular coffee so she sits at a table and she's like i'm sure that no one suspects me at all yet meanwhile uh noshukoshu of course is still hanging out with 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 rin and so sarah's like oh my god another chaos god and so she runs away uh and she's like what the hell is this place there's all these wicked gods and nobody seems to care but I was able to plant a portal inside the restaurant, and now I can slip in as I please. So she makes an astral gate. We cut away from there to Ren talking with Yzma. And he's like, um, why aren't you talking to your sister, dude? <laughs> why, is, why don't you go talk to your sister so she won't come bother us at my house? Go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Izuma says, Sarah's come to this land on a reconnaissance mission, so if I explain everything to her, it will all be for nothing. It makes me happy that she's grown into such an upstanding holy knight, so I will show her that I am alive and well, just like usual. As her older brother, I'm just happy to see her doing well. So, it does make a degree of sense of, she's on a mission, I'm not going to interfere in her ability to do the mission by just telling her what's going on. And anyway... I'm going to hopefully show her that things are cool. But unfortunately, she's misinterpreting everything. And Izuma is a bit of a dope who doesn't realize that. So there you go. Anyway, as he says this, Sarah starts to come out of the wall right behind him. Her head pokes out. Uh, and she has overheard what he has said about her. And is like, oh, oh you, do, you do care about me. You haven't changed at all. Meanwhile, Ren's just like, no, no, get out of my house. <laughs> so Get out of here. Um, Magu, of course, instantly realizes that Ninitsi, the rankless being, is responsible for this. Uh, while he comments on this, Ninitsi comes out of another portal right right next to him, and he's like, "Yeah, it's me, Ninitsi the Astral." Yeah. And uh, he explains that he's been working with the Holy Knights, and Magu's like, "Why are you working with them?" Oh, it's a pretty good gig, actually. You know, we get we I get steady work, and I judge that it would be really good to follow Winaris. And yeah, it's really nice. Uh, and Apuku immediately just says, Hey, a portal! This would be great to go shopping with. <laughs> he fucking, he knows what's up. <laughs> so, uh, so he's like, Huh, I know. Astral, you should join my mad army. And Nancy's like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sweet, let's go grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, they decide to do that, and we basically just have explained to us, yeah, Ninitsi's just like, yeah, he'll just do whatever, you know? <laughs> so, so, Sarah's like, what about me? And Ninitsi says, oh, yeah, I guess if I don't wind the gate, you're just going to be stuck there like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's really irresponsible. So, Sarah starts to panic. Ren scolds uh, Naputaku and then is like, hey, you, Ninitsi, get the, get her. Get her head out of my house. Um, uh, Magu, of course, gets upset at, at Naputaku for trying to recruit new members and then demands that Ninitsi write his name in the Book of Blood Oaths. And Ninitsi goes, okay. So they start fighting over Ninitsi and literally using him as tug-of-war uh, rope. Uh, Ren tries to pull Sarah out through the portal. And he's almost being a good boy and studying that. 
Um, it all comes to a head when uh, the tug of war uh, results in Niputaku losing his grip on Ninitsi. He falls plummeting through the portal uh, and then goes into uh, Bagworld's astral space and knocks into Sarah, which pushes her out of the hole. And she falls into Ren, who's trying to pull her out. This caused a big noise. Wouldn't you know it? Ru and Oneris have, have arrived at the uh, Fujisawa's house. So they go into the room. But oh no, Sarah has fallen on top of Ren. And Ruru's shocked. And she's like, oh, oh no, I didn't see anything. And Eris plays out her camera to film it because she's an asshole. And then Ruru just goes, good job, Ren. Because she's a bro like that. <laughs> and that's it. And um, Ren starts bleeding from every orifice in his face. Because Ruru, his crush, thinks that he is with another girl now. So... That's the chapter. There were some funny bits in it. I don't want to say Uneris is the worst part of the chapter. <laughs> She's just present when the worst part of the chapter happens. And I just feel like by proximity, perhaps she jinxed it. The only good thing about the, about the sequence that happens is Ruru's reaction to it. Because... Honestly, like, she's just too supportive for her own good. So, Ren's just like, no. Um, but beyond that, I did like the way the Nitsi was just kind of like, yeah, okay. And that was, and that just, you know, randomly switched sides just because. Um, and uh, I liked that Naputiku was in the chapter. So. Yeah. Nitsi's fun. And Naputiku, always excellent. All right, let's move on to Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned. Z equals 217, science underdogs. Uh, last time, Kohaku spotted a weird blotchy bit on the satellite feed. And so they're like, why man's there on the moon? We know where they are. And so they're like, yeah, let's go get him. And of course, people are like, yeah, we're getting pumped for this. Suika of course, is upset because she's like, oh, no, we couldn't make the deadline. Everyone's going to go off and we're not going to we're not going to have our round trip rocket for, for so that everyone can be together at the end. Um, and uh, then they're like, OK, we're going to need a global scale working on this rocket project. But Ryusuke says global, more like galactic scale. Sorry, Ryusuke, you don't have Martian workers yet. So it is still just global scale. Uh, so calm down. I know you're going to the moon, but that is far from galactic in scale. That is still Earth's orbit. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh and uh, so they're like, all right, so we're all going to come together. You know, all the different people we've got all around the world are going to combine their efforts on this. And then Chrome goes galactic scale. Come together as one. And the sun rises on the horizon. And he goes, my flash of inspiration is finally here. I've thought of a way for everyone to survive and make it home in a two-way rocket made possible by science. Yay! We, we can explain what that is later. So. Huzzah! Uh, but we see that Suika and Chrome go to side with their idea, and he looks it over, and he seems quite optimistic about it. And then we get a big thing where Chrome and Suika make a big announcement for the Mega Science Conference. They hold up banners, so it's really official. Um, 
And there is a big showdown thing between the super scientists, Zeno and Senku, and the rookie scientists, Chrome and Suika. And Senku's like, wait, what's going on? So, but of course, Chrome now reveals, we don't agree with the suicide mission plan. We want a two-way rocket instead. And Gen starts to bring up, hey, it's not possible. We'd have to make a huge rocket in order to do that. Uh, everyone brings up their points, but Suika says, yeah, but Chrome's been trying to think of an answer and we've been searching for a way for the little rocket to make it to the moon and back. And Chrome says, yeah, so check this out. And he pulls a lever and he says, this is our rookie science team's bad, never before done scheme. We're going to take that gigantic spaceship and that can make it back home from the moon. And we're going to launch it in five pieces. And in yeah. space, they'll combine like Voltron. <laughs> Honestly, I did really like this when I first saw the review. It is the best way to describe that. Um, I mean, I, as Senku points out, this is a thing. Mm -hmm. Like the space stations, yes, this is this is what space stations do. They were launched in parts and then combined while in space. But still, it's really cool to see the diagram, and I do love all of the non-science people just staring in shock with different expressions of shock at it it's a nice reaction bit um so of course egg is like oh yeah the space station the biakia went up and was launched in five parts and crumb's like of course i fuck it was a modern invention thing that was just like the idea that i had to think of myself <laughs> why did no one tell me so but senku says hey who cares if it's not a new idea it's wild and out of this world, and that plan falls 10 billion percent outside of my and Zeno's thinking. Uh, and so they're like, yeah, there was a time that NASA thought about launching a spaceship like this. But the problem is the design, because in order to make a two-way spaceship, there are all these interlocking joinable sections you'd have to do. It would involve several million individual components. Uh and Rus is like, yeah, well, we'll have the entire population of the world working on it, so let's do it. <laughs> um, but uh, they kind of introduced their own stumbling block because um, no one seems to be objecting to this plan very strenuously. They're just kind of bringing up some concerns that they have. And Chrome's like, we should vote on this with democracy and stuff. Yes, the ten of us will vote on this. <laughs> for the entire world's fate. So everyone should vote one way or two way. This is how the kingdom of science works, by combining our strength to build and create. Uh, and Sai has a, um, a computer set up so that there could be a blind vote, basically. And the results come in, and the two-way rocket wins. Hooray! Round trip, round trip. And Chrome's like, yeah, that's right, Seku. My idea won fair and square, so no going back on it. We are going to do the round trip. And Senku says, yeah, I'm not going to go back on it. But we've got a long, brutal road ahead, so we've got a lot of work to do. And they start planning on stuff. But then, after all is said and done, Sai says, yeah, I mean, it was anonymous voting. But, I mean, I could just, you know, check the percentages and stuff. And wouldn't you know it, it was unanimously in favor of a two-way rocket. Because, unbelievably... Everyone in this series liked the idea of, oh, let's not strand our friends on the moon if it's possible to do this. <laughs> uh, and Chrome and Suika get a big moment where they, you know, thrust their fists up in triumph because, hey, they found a way to save all their friends and keep them together and everyone be happy and stuff. 
there was a moment at some point in the chapter, I forget where it was, where uh, Senku and Zeno are kind of whispering something to each other. And Ukyo's like, I hear things good. That's my one character quality of value. So I heard you. What are you talking about, Nick? He's one of the four, five generals. That's right. He's smart. So Senku says, the whole world is going to have to be working on this transforming rocket. And the only way to make it happen is if we hook the stone world up with the internet. <laughs> and um, Kaseki is excited about this and his clothes fly off. But uh, Sai has the same reaction because he's a computer nerd. So. Yeah, that was the odd thing. I was like, is it because he's proximity to Kaseki that his clothes exploded off? Or does he also have this trait that when he gets very excited, clothes explode off? Is this a condition? Like, is this a thing? Now, Kaseki is Kaseki is a current Stone Age invi- like an inhabitant. Size from the past. This implies this exists in both, in both eras. So, yes. is this like a recessive gene, maybe, that's been passed down? Your clothes explode off when you get excited? Like, Nick, am I going to play the new Pokemon? Well, and I'm just like, ooh, a Toxicroak, and boom, my fucking shirt's on a wall. It was also established that Kaseki's ancestor had the exact same trait um, in that uh, Size ancestor. Not size, uh, uh, Kaseki's ancestor. No, I know, but that's what it means, size and ancestor. Oh, I got you, yeah. They were somehow related, I guess. Yeah. Deep down. All right, Nick. Let's move along to Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 84, Mashburn Dead, and the Bugged Out Magic User. So uh, the group of characters outside of Domina are in a room with a bunch of doors and like, hey, this room is connected to all the other rooms. It's like a train station for the mansion. Or like a super secret stage select screen where you can save time. Uh, so I guess video games exist in the Mashal world. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, Lance is like, so we're competing over control for this room. Because while this is happening, Domino is looking for the treasure and they have to gather the stars. So this fight's just going to happen. And uh, I don't know if we've met this character like he might have a name but i don't know it so i'm just gonna call him cold hat guy cozy winter boy yeah Yeah. cozy winter boy is like you have to face us and since there's five of us the odds are against you master daughter like do you just make a pun and cozy uh winter guy's like by the way i stayed up all night to watch where the sun went then it dawned on me and they're just like, oh, I hate this guy. He, he fucking sucks. He's like, I'll spring for onions. And they're they're visibly bothered by a cozy ice man. They are visibly like, I hate you. I want you to die. Uh, some have had to. Dot expo- seems to have some sort of an attack at uh, at the last one. Like, yeah. So- well, well, Mash's teeth are chattering, and he starts curling up into the fetal position by the spring one. So. Uh, it, it, it seems to be damaging them quite a bit. Uh, people have had to explain that the reason this is all happening is because chili is sort of like a thing in Japan for like jokes, like chili reception sort of stuff. So that's why he has ice powers and he tells really bad jokes. So a little bit of that's missed, uh, but not a lot. Not a lot. Um, There's just a bunch of dumb attacks. He freezes them solid. Uh, and they're like, oh, wait, there's bugs in the ice. 
and uh, Cenobite guy is like, yes, those are land mites inside the ice. Disturb them, and and he picks one and flicks it, and it explodes. He says, there won't be much of you left, I'm afraid. They're like, oh no, we're done for. And uh, Cenobite guy sends out the most fearsome carnivorous insect that can devour a large animal in under a second. And uh, Dot says, damn it, I let my penchant for snarky comments leave me vulnerable. (laughs) I can't help but react. Uh, And he also is like, hey, I also can't attack because my explosion magic will set off those landmites. So how do we beat those bugs without moving? And Mash just says, duck. And he molds his uh, his wand into a pull cue and the bug gets close and curls up into a ball and Mash uses the barbarian shot <laughs> to shoot it like a ball bouncing off the various walls until it keeps hitting different people of the uh, evil schools group and knocking them through wall uh, through doors where in that moment they're just like wait are we all just billiards to you? And Mash says, I ran the table. Dot's hair is smoking. Uh, and the, the other members of the group are like, hey, leave them to us. And they jump into the doors. They're like, we'll regroup later, Mash. It's a promise. But the only person still left is Rose Quartz and Mash. So Rose Quartz dodges being hit by the ball. Mash uh, does the Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm not going to let you escape. I know more people have done it than Sonic the Hedgehog, but that's who originated it in my heart. And uh, Rose Quartz is like, oh yeah, this world was handed to me on a silver player the day I was born, and I'm supposed to worry about some magicless pege- peasant? I guess it's up to me to teach you the harsh realities that are bo- that happen when you're born in the wrong class. And Mass says that I'll have to teach you everyone is equal before the law of muscles. <laughs> This is a wonderfully silly chapter. I love all of the uh, reactions that the Cenobite guy has as he just watches the billiards uh, routine getting more and more ridiculous. And he's just like chewing on his nails when the thing hits him and knocks him into the door. Um, and I love Mash, as you said, doing the Sonic the Hedgehog thing. <laughs> <laughs> like anything that Mash does, if he has this, that expression when he does it, it makes sense for him to do. But so much of what he does is just so weird and random like yeah. if he didn't have that expression on his face it would make no sense for his character to, to have that kind of line mm, i won't let you escape it's like what kind of weird character are you it's like ah he's got the st- stupid expression yeah uh, that's mash all right it's yeah. the dumb face mash uh yeah i like it a lot it's it's fun it sets them up for the individual fights it is interesting that mash is gonna fight rose course and then assumedly also domina i thought we kind of like set up for like straight mm-hmm. one-on-one fights but uh, presumably we'll probably get uh, at least one double fight. I would imagine it looks like Lord Abel and Abyss Razor, which would be a good combo to see how they work together in their relationship. So perhaps, but I'm excited to see what happens next week. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Next up, the elusive samurai chapter 39 Hawks 1335. That's right. The superhero Hawks is not content to remain within my hero academia. He's going to show up in this one too. Uh, we get a breakdown of what, where everything geographically is located in terms of the three different battles that are going on between the Kakushi's forces and those that are allied with uh, uh, Shinano. And uh, essentially, we get a breakdown of the scenario as well over the course of the chapter, which is, hey, if one of these battles goes bad, then all those forces in that battle are going to surge into one of the others and over and topple the balance. 
and then we're going to be in really big trouble. So, <clears throat> um, we then get a little bit of a recap of <sighs> what was his name? Uno, uh, the older warrior we got to know last time. Where um, if you save up your energy, you can unleash an explosive burst of aggression. But what if you do that for your whole life? Then, yes, that's what happens when you don't masturbate, kids. So you get to you can kill people really, really easily with a, with a sword. You never have that post nut clarity that allows you to be like, I shouldn't be killing people. What am I doing? This is crazy. It seems very unhealthy because we established that he is not a monk. He has not eradicated his desire. He keeps it boiling inside. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Don't. It it hurts. Okay? <laughs> like, if you don't get the urge, I'm not going to judge you or anything. But if you get the urge, just, like, do something about it. Like, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that battle is taken care of after he's helped repel the, the invaders in the fortress. And then he says over to Shizuku, hey, have you grasped the state of the three battlefields? And she breaks it down in, in terms of how things are going. And then Ono says, all right, so Satomune's force is strongest uh, and we can hold him here for the 10 days that this is going on. During that time, if we can deal some damage to Ichikawa and the Kakushi, we'll force a retreat in the north and center. So if you can if you convey all that information to our allies in those locations, then we can adapt learning what the situation is there. So Tokyuki starts to head out. One of the soldiers, I believe it was the one who actually showed them in to begin with, says, hey, hey, the enemy's right outside the walls. Don't go, don't wait, wait for until night falls. But Tokyuki says, hey, it's going to be too late then. And we've got to inform our allies. Don't worry, I won't get caught. And they start to ride off. And uh, this is uh, not very easily done. Uh, we see that, you know, Ayako is having to deflect some spears that are before they can uh, hit her and Shizuku while they're riding away. Tokyuki uh, breaks off from everyone in order to draw their attention. Uh, and he's doing some really cool horse shit. It's it's a, it's a really cool shot of a horse and him bucking around as he rides it and stuff. His riding has improved during the time skip, basically. Uh-huh. And of course, he's having the time of his life while this happens. Uh, meanwhile, people are also being really inspired because, hey, that little kid is just riding through a dangerous battlefield and he's he's making everyone look stupid. So they're inspired by this. And Uno says, yes, the elusive samurai has a positive effect on the troops. That is how I want female retainers to react to me. They do. <laughs> Dude. Dude. Stop being weird. <laughs> and uh, then they arrive in Kawanakajima, and uh, it's um, Hoshina and his troops that we got to know all that time ago. It's been a month of publication time, guys. It's... <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a long time otherwise. Uh, it's been a year in universe, so this is a big reunion for them, not so much for us. I do appreciate that we do get the detail that the uh, the different warriors that Kojiro uh, befriended are all really happy to see him. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Shizuku inquires about the state of the battle and Oshina says well we're kind of having difficulty because we have to cover a really large area it's hard to predict where the Kokushi is going to attack from but Nezudono is helping us solve that problem the second of the generals we see is observing the movements of his hawks that he has unleashed as scouts and apparently 
uh, it seems he seems to be getting signals from them based upon the way that they are flying around and thus is getting information from their point of view. Uh, and uh, so he informs everyone like, OK, they're spread thin. They're going these directions inform everyone with drums and signal flyers. Uh, Kojiro comments on this and he says he's using Hawks to read the battle. The ability to grasp the scope of a battle is the Nezu clan's strength. And Hokiku's like, oh, yeah, that's the clan you're from. And at that moment, uh, the general Nezu guy comes over and he greets uh, Tokiyuki and he asks how the battle's going and stuff. He talks about how uh, in the north, if Ichikawa's forces overwhelm the Toka to Tokoiwa's forces, then that means that they're going to steamroll everyone. Uh, so Tokiyuki gets ready to ride out there uh nezu's like are you okay like you've been riding all day i mean and Tokyo just says well i just need a fresh horse we love evading enemy lookouts right guys and Gim and fubuki are like please please stop <laughs> so yeah uh tokiyuki uh has um kojiro ayako and fubuki go with him while shizuku and genba stay behind and rest uh, and, uh, so Hoshina and his troops, uh, say goodbye to everyone. The crazy guard guy says that he's going to mark the path they take with severed ears and noses. Okay. So, <laughs> and then at that moment, Nezu tosses a scarf or shawl of some sort over to Kodro and says, starting today, cover your face when you go into battle. You must devote everything to your to your Shige-sama and the Nezu clan. And Kojiro agrees. Um, and nobody really knows what this is about except the two of them. Um, Ayako just says, clan circumstances can be complicated. And uh, when they ride out, Kojiro ties the sash around his forehead. Uh, and he's like, look, it's nothing to worry about. So that's all. Um so they ride into Tokoyoa, and when they get there, they see that the base is on fire. It's been completely ransacked. It has fallen. Mochizuki and Tokoyoa have lost the battle. And oh no, that means that Ichikawa's forces are going to steamroll through all the other forces that they've got. Defeat is coming tomorrow, which is um, illustrated by a two-headed kaiju with Kokushi, the Kokushi and Ichikawa's heads. Um, going up the side of a tower. Okay. Yeah. So. so that was the chapter. A lot of setup stuff. So. Turns out, I didn't read this chapter this week. Okay. <laughs> and a lot of the chapter, I was like, yeah, I remember this. They have to go out and uh, give the... Oh, wait, that was last week. Yeah. Oh, oh this is all new. Oh, okay. Uh, someone pointed out that uh, Ayako was actually related to one of those generals or she was from that clan. Like she has the last name of them. Oh, okay. so that's why she seems pretty shocked in particular that uh, they've already fallen. Uh, so more well-versed the series could probably give you more details about that. Uh, but we are in that point of an elusive samurai arc where I have no other real thoughts. <laughs> I'm a little bit intrigued as to what the whole thing with Kotro was about. It's like, why do you have to cover your head, your, your, your head? 
your face people gonna recognize you it's all right whatever so but i'm sure we'll find out about that and i'm sure also that um the situation is not exactly as it appears on the surface here so all right nick let's talk real quick about black clover page 312 before the door of hell that is a great chapter title if we're giving our awards for best chapter title this week uh that's gonna get it uh, so last time the Black Bulls, who hadn't really done anything this arc, crashed in, uh, met evil scientist Boris Guy, and evil scientist guy's like, ah, yes, I will use my modification magic to manipulate you all. And Vanessa's like, Rogue's power isn't working. And Boris says, at this point, my modification magic interferes with intangible concepts as well. So... It doesn't work on me! Huzzah! Uh, Because I said so! And a big, one of the big tendril things is coming straight at Gray. And we cut back to Gray talking with somebody. I'm sure I'm supposed to remember who this is, but I don't. And the person's like, the structure itself has changed with your magic. Transformation magic can only change appearance. I've never seen anything like this. If I were going to name it, I would call it. And we see Gray's magic is transmutation magic. And she turns the the tendril into a bunch of flowers. And he's like, magnificent. But can you block all of them? And he makes a whole bunch. And Gray's like, I can't. This is so, this takes so much for focus and it's humiliating. And Gray's like, shut up. Just look at me. And he uses Mirai to make a whole bunch of Grays who were able to do it. And he's like, hmm. Then I guess I'll use gravity magic to counter you then. You can't you can't change gravity's property. And Henry's there is like back then I couldn't I don't know how fucking Henry's cadence is supposed to be, but that's what he's doing. And then we get a flashback to Gordon when he arrived back at the guild after the time skip and he's like, I've trained and I now can change my poison into medicine. And he does it. He turns his poison into medicine that can power people. Curse workers, neighbor. And Henry's hair recedes, I guess, when that happens. Two things. One, why would you get rid of this man's one distinguishing feature and just make him another handsome mage guy? I have no idea. And two, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works, Nick. No, no rule in the rule book that says dogs can't play basketball. So now Henry can direct whose magic power is absorbed and directs it to this person. So sucks to suck. He gets punched by a giant uh, fucking Black Bull's headquarter. And then all of the rest of the Black Bulls show up. They all have their little lines like, oh, I'm here now. Oh, looks like the whole gang's here. Oh, let's get something to eat. I don't know. Charmy's there. She probably says something about food. Everybody... Come eat something. I assume that's Charmy. I don't know. Um, and that's it. The The Black Bulls have shown up and they say, we don't care who you are. We just got one thing to say to you. Give us back our captain. Zora's there. 10 out of 10. There you go. Yeah. Best, best Black Clover chapter is since the, uh, since the uh, brawl. Uh, where The Matt brawl for all? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well... Uh, let's not talk about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this was a chapter where we were told that people had powered up. Cool. Yeah, I, 
it's it is a follow up to things like it was teased that uh, Gray's power was more than we it was getting led on to believe. Um, it you know Gordon was kind of teased to have been doing some kind of training. Uh, I don't know if any of these things are particularly super like I did actually think it was cool when Gray starts transmuting the tendrils into flowers and she's like I can't do it alone and Gray's like look at my eye and makes a bunch of copies of her and then they're doing it from all angles like that was cool and then it was Gray or Gordon being like I have a very super specific thing I can do now to strengthen you and let you do something very super specific I was like okay I guess everybody gets their one thing to do this arc basically and this was for everybody who didn't except for Ro or Vanessa who you didn't get to do anything because your stupid broken power was conveniently made ineffective against this character. But I can do anything. No not to me! Nope I can fuck with intangible concepts as well so sucks to suck. Yeah fuck your cat leaper. I mean threads whatever yours is. <laughs> fate defiance power look it's all bullshit anyway all of them every um, everyone's powers suck but mine th so i think that we got like three um character conflicts all resolved in the span of about four pages because we discovered the true nature of gray's magic uh henry can go outside now and Gordon discovered that uh, poison magic can be good. Uh, therefore, all of their character arcs are resolved. Done and done. Uh, so, <laughs> Do you think Black Clover's ending, Nick? Maybe. Uh, we still have more always, left. You can, you can always do more, let's be clear. But I'm just pointing out that like, there's a lot of characters that are like, they're just kind of done now. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's let's uh, set sail for One Piece to get this uh, concluded. Chapter 1031, Warrior of Science. We get a cool two-page spread uh, that uh, seems to depict a bunch of second-in-commands. Yeah. I, it took me a moment at first to get it, because I was like, what a weird, motley assortment of characters. And I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Um, I mean, it depends on exactly how you consider how, like, Katakuri and King fit into their respective groups. But King definitely is. Katakuri is not, though. That's what's odd to me. He's just... He's the not the eldest son. Yeah. he. I guess he just is the member of their group that had the biggest bounty, essentially. Yeah, I think it's just that he was the second strongest in the group, basically. Yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all the right-hand man equivalent of, of their respective groups, which is amusing <laughs> when you're like, fucking Beppo? All right. <laughs> Look, Law's crew kind of sucks. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> they have Sean Bart. What are you talking about? They? Yeah, everything. I, I can't keep doing this, dude. I'm just. Sean Bart. Oh, man, Nick, you're going to feel stupid when you see this guy. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep doing that that uh poll or that game where i try to quiz you on one piece characters and every year i'm gonna put jean bart on it and every year i'm gonna get you to be like i have no idea who this is <laughs> he was on the poll okay it's like he's lost he's on, never lost crew no i don't remember anyone lost crew <laughs> you remember beppo yeah it's because he's a bear yeah <laughs> He is a literal bear. <laughs> All right. Anyway, warrior science. Uh, 
kid turned Big Mom into a magnet and brought a whole bunch of steel girders into her. Uh, but they fucked up now because someone says even Big Mom couldn't have survived that. You fucking fool. What are you doing? Don't. No. Because uh, immediately she gets up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, law, law does kind of bring up like, oh, so is that what your magnet magnet fruit does? How long does it last? And kid says, shut up, I'm not telling you. <laughs> uh, big mom gets up, all the steel girders just kind of tumble off of her. And then she says, life, Oroshiruko. And everyone's like, Oshiruko, oh, we've got to give her some Oshiruko and she'll give or she'll take all of our fucking life. And yeah, she just swipes her hand and draws up everyone's life force in a big bundle in her hand. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And uh, she also starts just like tossing life at various objects, making new minions for her out of, you know, the stuff that was just burying her alive and stuff like that. She proclaims, I'll use an entire year of my lifespan. Anything less won't serve to strengthen me. And she eats it and she gets bigger. Okay. Uh, so she's very, very mad as she looms gigantically over Law and Kid and says, I'm sure you've come for my throne just like Straw Hat Luffy, so take it if you can. Prove you're worthy of being an emperor of the sea. And Law says, can't believe I have to beat this monster just so I can learn more about history. It's the greatest line in One Piece in recent memory. Uh, it's such a... Uh, <laughs> I love it because I keep seeing people be like, yeah, this is what One Piece is in a nutshell. This character be like, I had to beat this monster just so I can learn about history. I, have to, I can't believe I have to read this 1,000 chapter series just so I can... <laughs> uh, but Kid's like, yeah, let's go, let's go beat her, even if it kills us. Um... We see some people on the other side of Big Mom are still fighting. Uh, and then we cut to where Beppo is. Not Beppo, sorry. Apu is. And he's like, what? But my offer, X-Ray, come on. My great offer. <laughs> Your offer sucks. I hate you. So he's trying to beat him with his sound, sound powers. And X-Ray's just like, I already know why your tricks work. You, And my obligation to Straw Hat demands that I put an end to you right here. What, what obligation? You just said you were going to help him. <laughs> X-Drake says, at first glance, your techniques seem to have no attack vector at all, but you activate them through hearing and aim them with sight. Ooh, what a smart boy. What a smart boy figuring that out, that the sound guy's got to be heard for his sound attacks to work. Oh. Anyway. Apu's really pissed that he's spreading his secrets around, which, like, whatever. Who cares? At that moment, Yamato comes running through the arena. Uh, hey, he passed through another fighting area. That's cool. And uh, the numbers are like, what the hell? Young Master Yamato, what are you doing? And Yamato's like, oh, Drake and Apu. What the fuck are you guys all doing here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Apu's like, wait a minute. Yamato is Kaido's enemy. And that idiot Drake is useless to me. I know how to. Hey, Mr. Yamato, I got some great information for you. So immediately cuts ties. Uh, and then Yamato's like, I'm in a hurry here. I've cut ties with Kaido. I'm not on your side anymore. And Apu's like, yeah, okay. But then X-Ray gets in the way, and Yamato smacks him with his club, and he tries to deflect it. And X-Ray's like, no, wait, 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 wait. I've got nothing to do with Kaido anymore either. What? Really? Sorry, I'm in a hurry. Just <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
bulldozes over him. I am so glad that I got off of that X Drake train as soon as he did his stupid character turn. Because if I were still on it, I'd be like, oh, this isn't good. This gets. Ah, ah, no, you're not important. Get off of me. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> He's like, I've got to do it. Go handle some stuff. The, 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 the Significant characters are doing things now. Out of my way. Bulldoze is over. Keeps on running. And Apu's like, no, I've got to get Yamato on my side. Come on, guys, help me out here. And and he's running after Yamato, and X-Drake's running after Apu. So, oh, no, there's a big freaking train of people that are all heading towards the armory now, it seems like. Who's going to run into who? What's going to happen? Brooke is with Robin, and they're trying to get away from the freaking fire. Um, and there's all sorts of pirates who are trying to stop them, too. So he jumps off of a ledge in order to get away from people. Uh, and they're trying to get away from the CP0, who, of course, are directly going after Robin. And who conveniently mentions the highest level of Cypher Pole, the agents wearing the masks, are the most elite. So, okay. The, even within CP0, they're super dangerous guys. Yeah. Okay. Gotta watch out for them. Um, then we cut to Sanji, who, um, hit a woman, I guess. So he's like, but I didn't do anything. I, I, I thought. And so, but people are like, how could you do this? This young girl, you're the only one who was here. And they throw their shoes at him to get him to leave. Uh, and so Sanji goes out and he's like, no, hit a lady. That's the one thing I can't ever do. And he, of course, thinks back to when his brothers beat up a woman very callously. He just kind of wanders lost out into the corridor where Queen is in his dinosaur form. And he says, hey, the pleasure hall's not open for business. Okay. So, but Sanji says to himself, I do remember that when I was running away deep in thought and he came across a geisha who said, I was just brought from the cat flower capital to entertain. Please let me go. And the next moment, she'd been knocked through the air. It was bleeding badly. And she was looking at me with fear in her eyes. So, apparently, Sanji went crazy and attacked a woman, which he vowed never to do. And now he reflects, Luffy, which would you prefer? The regular me who turns into a helpless wreck whenever facing an opponent who's a woman? Or a cruel, cold, emotionless warrior of science who can crush even monsters like him as long as you give me the order. Which one will be more useful to the King of the Pirates? And he takes out the band that would transform him into his invisible suit form. And he says, I've made up my mind. And Queen's like, oh yeah, you gotta use your, your science suit thing on me? But Sanji says, I've gotta assume that this thing caused the science that was already in my body to activate and awaken. And I can't do anything about that, but I can say no more. And he stomps on it, and it goes kaboom! <laughs> because it's full of science, and science explodes when you crush it. That, is, how, that, is, that is actually scientifically how science works. He declares, I'm not going to be a German soldier. And then he lights a cigarette all cool and says to himself, farewell, Germa. Farewell, women's bath. <laughs> because 
That was why he wanted to turn he, invisible. He was he was doing really well for a bit. <laughs> this is one fight I've got to end myself. Then he pulls out a Denden Mushi and contacts Zoro, who is of course fighting with King, and um, you know, he's King is very strong, so he doesn't really have time to be chatting on the phone with anybody. Uh, and he's like, wait, why the hell do I have this transponder sale here? And Sanji says, yeah, I put it in your stomach band when you were bleeding out. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, but Sanji says, look, this is really quick. We're going to beat the Animal Kingdom Pirates real soon. And Zoro's like, well, yeah. But Sanji says, after the finish, if I'm not in my right mind, I want you to kill me. And Zoro just kind of goes, huh? But then he says, all right, I'll kill you just like you asked, whatever that's supposed to mean. At least now I have something to look forward to after this. In that case, don't die before then. And Sanji says, thanks. And then he disappears. And Queen goes, but what the hell? Where is he? Is this more science? And Sanji says, I'm already burning up. I don't need you throwing more fuel on the fire and his entire body is on fire as he rushes in and delivers a kick with the attack name Hell Memories and sends Queen flying and on fire. Yes, on fire specifically. Uh, I like this. Uh, I thought this was a good moment for Sanji, which he hasn't had a ton of <laughs> in recent memory. Uh, it is not perfect. In fact, there's a part of me that's a little sad when I say all the details of it in like out loud or think about them. Yeah. Cause I'm like, yeah, Sanji decides it's okay to still never get involved with women. And he gives up on his dream of being able to sneak into women in the bathhouse. That's his honorable thing. But I do one like that. It is an absolute refute of his family and his connection with them. It is it is him finally saying, fuck this. There was a big part at the end of Whole Cake Island where it was like, not a super big fan of the fact that Jerma kind of gets to be made peace with Sanji. Like, he does kind of feel like he makes some level of amends to them where it should just be like, fuck you guys and fuck everything you stand for. So I do like that. And I particularly like his little speech of like, which is more, like, which would Luffy need more? Would it be more useful for Luffy to have this killing machine essentially on the ship? Like that, you know, I, I do like him deciding like, no, Luffy would want someone with humanity. Luffy would want somebody with flaws, at least acknowledging as well that his his tendency to avoid women has actually been a detriment to him in the past. So I, I like those those bits there a lot. I mean, it does call to mind like, you know, why Sanji was put in the situation he was with Black Maria is to remind us of that weakness of his and to put it in stark contrast to, hey, there was this giant spider lady who was beating him up and torturing him and forcing him to put his friend in danger if he uh, if he wanted to save himself versus, oh, there was just this random lady that he just attacked for no fucking reason and that is what this could potentially turn him into. Mm -hmm. Just how, how great a contrast that is and how not in his right mind it makes him. So it does make that more powerful to know that in recent memory he was completely different. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you that like because of the greater context of 
how Sanji has been through the entire series and the certain aspects of his character that to this day have just kind of been used for, oh, that's Sanji, that, you know, that, that, that woman. Waka waka. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way that it was used in this case was very, you know, it made, it made the rejection more, more, more powerful because it was like, yeah, that's not, yeah, it turned him into something that he was definitely not. And he was disgusted by what he turned into. So of course he would reject the power even if it would be very helpful to him. Yeah. So. All right, guys, that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. But what are the favorites of this week? Best series and MVP. Um, I think my best series is going to go to... Uh, I didn't love anything this week. Mm. Um... I guess I will give it to... I'm going to give it probably to One Piece. It's not like a hearty, strong, like, this was the best. It's just probably the one I think I enjoyed the most. I'm trying to look through other stuff that people are suggesting and nothing's really calling out to me. So yeah, I'll say One Piece. Uh, I'm going to say Mashal. I, okay. It was a pretty straightforward chapter, just some silly goofiness, but I enjoyed it throughout. It was, I think, the one chapter this week that I really liked and didn't have a problem with in some form or another. I did really like Undead Unluck. Uh, I will say that. And I also actually really liked Eden Zero. It's just that it's really held back by the flaws inherent to the series itself mm. uh, and the context that it's in. That said, however, I am actually making Rebecca my, my MVP this week. I Ooh. think that the image of her body crumbling away like that is very striking. And I do really did really like the conversation she and Shiki had about grief and loss and trying to move on from it. And I liked that she was, you know, talking really calmly about it. But then you literally see the toll that it is taking on her, uh, this loss. So... It was very good stuff, and that was definitely the one image in this whole week that shocked me the most. And then I looked closer and was like, why the fuck? What, what is with the, the boobs and the bra? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give mine to Sanji. I, I think this was, mm-hmm. a, as I said, I like this moment for Sanji. It's the first time I feel like he's had like a really cool kind of character moment like that in a while. It's still not a perfect one, but I, I do still appreciate parts of it a lot. I think the last time I was uh, that I had a moment where I could be proud of Sanji was when um, he was nice to Pudding. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say, he had some good moments of Pudding, so I'll give him that. Uh, who I keep on kind of thinking about occasionally whenever he goes girl crazy. is like, you've got a fiancé that you really like. Stop that. But he, <laughs> she erased all the memories from him. Oh, you're right. Oh, I'm sad <laughs> but it's okay. She was 15, so it was a little weird, right? She was 15? Yeah. It was all for the best. Okay. <laughs> you could just, it's like the Simpsons joke. We just keep adding little details. Like, well, it makes it sad. Oh, but that makes it worse. <laughs> and then you, and then you drop the, like, she was 15. And you're like, oh, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> all right. Maybe this was all for the best. <laughs> uh, the audience, by the way, picked Magu-chan as their chapter of the week. And Ashin from Undead Unlock as their character of the week. Yeah. Um, I, I can get into those. I understand them. Um, but uh, they're wrong because we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for Weekly Mug Recap, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on twitch.tv slash where we record the show Wednesdays, usually starting around 7.30 Eastern time in the evening. 
But sometimes you do need to change it up if plans change for running a little bit late or have to get stuff done early. And to stay up to date on that stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at WMR Podcast, at RulloT, at NickFTime. Uh, or you can join us on Discord. We have a Discord server with a wonderful community where people chat about the recapped series as the chapters come out each week, the recommended series as people are working their way through it in preparation for the discussion, and uh, just like, you know, fun discussions about general stuff and like there's bi-weekly game nights and it's great. So join us on there. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash recap, where you can enjoy bonus content that we like to put out for you guys, including the monthly other recap that Chris mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Should be uh, out very soon. If you're listening to this live, it's not out, but if you're listening to it afterwards, it should be up. And we would like to extend special thanks to everyone who helps make this show what it is. NinjaX, the guy who maintains the Google spreadsheet that, we're, that keeps track of the recommended series we've done, the MVP and favorite series voting, and all sorts of other helpful statistics that we would have forgotten about long ago if uh, it weren't on there. You can find that via the Discord server. We also want to thank Milo Jack Stillitz and Winsleydale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, which you can see on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash weekly manga recap. Uh, the audio versions are on Spotify and on everywhere the podcasts are, can, can be listened to, basically. Weeklymongerecap.podbean.com is the central place where they get posted to. And last but not least, we'd like to thank, thank Steve Mann, whose title card artwork you can see on some of those episodes on YouTube. You can find his work on, well, his, his Twitter and anywhere where boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. So, Yeah, anywhere. All right. Uh, we have our next recommendation then, by the way. So, Nick... We have a new batch of jump starts starting very soon. That's correct. Because uh, Red Hood's ending, Narrow's ending. We got, we got room for new series, and one of the series coming in is by Yuji Kaku, uh, and they are most known for a previous series, Hell's Paradise Jiko Kuraku, which uh, was recommended uh, initially uh, uh, uh. by Tropical, and a bunch of other people added it. So I figure in preparation for that, let's give a taste of Yuji Kaku's most recent series. Okay. It is available on Jump, so we it is a, a relatively easy read, I believe. We will see how <laughs> this goes. Oh no, it's all it's all labeled 18 plus only. I'm yeah, worried. there's gonna be boobs everywhere. You'll never be able to stop it. I don't know how we end it. I just thought that was a good sign off. Oh, okay. Well, no, I didn't. Now we awkwardly have the silence there. So that's kind of weird. Okay. Yeah. Fern.